You're listening to episode 183 of the Spectacular Comics Pals. Yes. We're a group of hey. comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. <laughs> Superman. More like Supperman since he's trying to give everyone food, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Supperman. That's the best you got? Uh, my roommate came up with that. He said that would be funny for the podcast. <laughs> I like it better now that it's Caleb's joke. I don't. Um, How dare you blame that on him? (laughs) Pro tip, don't take bit ideas from your roommate who doesn't do this. Fair enough. He's a nice boy. Yeah, he's a great guy. I like him a lot. Uh, Welcome to the show. Phil's clunky intro aside... We're really excited to be here and to do this for you guys. And uh, one thing that he was apt in referencing is Superman because, uh, you know, today, days like today, feels like we need a hero. And who better than Superman, right? So Than me! Yeah. Whoa. Uh, Marco? Marco. <laughs> what's no, your, what's your superhero name? My superhero name? Uh, Marco the Mystic. Nope, it's Swamp Kid. Swamp no, kid. I like Marco. Swamp Kid's a dumb name. That's good. It's swamp ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's my sidekick. <laughs> oh boy. Um. Yeah. So we're gonna be talking about Superman a little later. We're gonna be doing something we haven't done in quite some time—a character spotlight. And this this time around, we're gonna be focused on, you know, the original superhero. Uh, Wonder and, Woman. True. Right. Yeah. Wonder Woman. Yep. I'm glad you guys are all hip to that joke, um, <laughs> considering I already made it once. Uh, there's a lot to say about Superman as a character and his influence in comics and the world, actually. One of the few superheroes I think you can say has had a genuine positive effect on the Earth, on, on human beings, which is an incredible feat. And we're going to dive into all that later on in the show. Uh, but for now, I want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. We're the Comics Pals. For for your search, don't include Spectacular. Uh, don't include <laughs> Great Lakes either. Uh, just the Comics Pals will do, and you will find us. Uh, if you want to get us on social media, we are the Comics Pals there as well. Twitter and Instagram, of course. Uh, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And... If you're watching this on YouTube.com slash TheComicsPals, we appreciate you joining us and, uh, you know, watching us do this for whatever reason. Um, make sure that you guys subscribe to our channel. Leave us a like. Drop a comment. Share this with video with your friends. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. You can hit the notification bell so that you can be made aware of when we drop more content just like this. And, and the best way... To get in touch with us, the best way to communicate is to join our Discord server. A link to that will be in the description. We're always having a good time over there. And speaking of Discord, I wanted to share with you guys a comment that we got from our Discord server this week uh, from Sultan of Swing. He said, I just finished the new episode and I really appreciated all of the talk about DC's new distribution plan. The two LCSs I frequent seem to be split on whether or not they think it is a good idea. One is jumping in with both feet and one posted about how they think this is terrible for the industry. Now, of course, Sultan of Swing is referring to our episode 
last week, episode 182, where we talked about DC teaming up with Midtown Comics and DCBS to distribute books again, um, which is obviously major news, and you can go listen to our show where we talked about that. We're going to talk about that a little bit this week as well. Um, but I just wanted to, you know, shout out Sultan for that nice comment. We really, really appreciate it. Comments like that help keep us going. Let us know you guys are enjoying what we're doing. And uh, that LCS split that he references is something that we're seeing a lot of. And I think that, um, you know, it's gonna we're going to see a lot more of it. So we'll be talking about a lot of that a little bit later. So with Sultan of Swing's comment in context... Are you guys are you guys still feeling, you know, similarly about the whole DC situation? In yes, sir. <laughs> Go ahead, Marco. I think one of the last points that I made in last episode was that yes, this was untimely due to the situation, but I do appreciate the willingness to continue to move in a direction. Um and then early in the episode, I did mention that the timing was early even for Diamond to, to start to, to restart. But I think having the conversations are important considering the majority, the, considering complaints have always been around Diamond Comics, their ability to distribute, as well as the way that they do have uh, a monopoly in the industry. And then we've been presented with this alternative, obviously not great timing, which doesn't help the argument. But I think because they are taking that that step. Um, I think at the very least that that's valuable. Whether or not people sign on is obviously a different story. Um, but at least there, it, it seems like forward progression, even if it is resembling a system that was once in place. Well, that's all well and good, but I have a random question for you. Oh, no! Would you say that question is the random question of the week? I would, and I would say that it's also inspired by the Discord and inspired actually by Kale. And my <gasps> question Oh no. My question is, Marco. Oh no. What comic book would you risk your life to go receive right now? What comic book is worth dying for? Uh, no, it's gotta be it's gotta be a comic that is coming out right now that you would actually go to the shop for. Goes, yeah, 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 no, yeah. There, there isn't one because Swamp Thing isn't being published. Oh. Wow. So well, I don't know I where the that. fuck you get off then. Well, wait, that's not fair because if there was another comic like Saga was back out, like like things that, that I did actively go to the store for, then and insofar as my LCS would stock it, I'd go, I'd go support them because that is the community that I go to for comics right as much as i want to risk the store falling um i also want to see my friend continue to be able to make his livelihood so marco ever the po politician uh -huh. shifted on you guys so well <laughs> that's not fair though you i mean like I, I don't read those those kind of comics that are coming out if i was in a position where i did then I would I would say yes because I know that there are comics out there for me that I would go to the store for. The same way I continue to support comics that I'm interested in now via Kickstarter or something. You didn't allow me to finish my statement. What I was going to say was that you shifted your position 
to one that is community first. And I thought that that was a very good move yeah, on our part. Yes, you know what I said. Exactly. You know what I said. He no, no, wants to kill I, the community. You're absolutely as, right, Sean. Kill them all. Right what? before I said, from, from Marco's mouth. Right before I said, as much as uh, as I want to see my friends succeed, and as much as the the store would potentially die, I'm in it for the comics. Ask right. ask not what you can do for the swamp. Ask first what the swamp can do for you. I'm Marco. Wow. All right, Marco. Fair enough, dude. So we're on record. Marco won't die for a comic. Yes, um, I will, bro. But he but he <laughs> will a, kill his friends. He'll for no, it. he'll die for the right comic. Exactly. It's just not out right comic. Marco, Marco, am I the right Daphne comic? Daphne Burns you die not for me? it for you. Daphne Burns not it for me. What's that Marco, for? Marco, would you die for me? Am I the right comic? You are the right comic. You're not funny, but <laughs> <laughs> but he loves you anyway. Thanks, Bubba. <laughs> 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 all right, so that that's not a real random question. I don't actually want us all to answer that. I just yeah, that's fine. Needed to put the screws to. Needed Marco. to put Marco on blast. We get it. Oh yeah, Damn. <laughs> most definitely. I stand by it, Sultan of Swing. I stand by it. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you, Sultan, for the comment. Like I said, we appreciate it, and uh, you know, I wanted to play a little bit with the with the idea there, um, Phil. Yeah. Why don't you uh why don't you take it away real quick? Yeah, guys. Uh I have a quick little game for us here. It's not much of something, but I'll keep it short. It's a new segment on the show that I'm calling Rewriting Reality. Hmm. So it's a simple premise. In this world, you can only keep one of these following Batman properties and the rest no longer exist. You have six choices. If this goes well in future segments, it'll be other things. But for this week, we'll do Batman since it's the most pervasive. Uh, so keep in mind, whatever one you choose will be the only of these six things that exist. Try to consider the cultural ramifications in your, in, in addition to your personal enjoyment of it. So the following, keep these in mind. The 1989 Batman movie. Batman Along Halloween by uh, uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, Batman the Animated Series, Grant Morrison's entire Batman run, and the Dark Knight movie. So we got two Not movies the trilogy, here. Just the Dark Knight. Just <laughs> yeah, just the Dark Knight. So Batman How could that Begins is be possible. Well, like uh, okay, so we'll, we'll say that uh, Batman Begins is the only one that existed, and Bat and the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises did not happen. Okay, so we'll say okay. that. Uh, so, so again, which, which one we would keep? Yeah, yeah. These are, of these six, you're rewriting and the reality, the and they're gone forever. Hmm. Okay. So again, uh, I'll, one more one more time for the listeners: that's Batman 1989, yeah. Batman the Long Halloween, The Dark Knight Returns, Batman the Animated Series, Grant Morrison's entire Batman run, and The Dark Knight slash The Dark Knight Rises. So the obvious trick here is Grant Morrison's entire Batman run includes Arkham Asylum, which, if I'm not mistaken, inspired uh, the Tim Burton film. It did not. It, it, it succeeded at the same time as the 19... It, it succeeded because of the popularity of the 1989 Batman movie. Because right. it came out around the same time. Okay. Right. Okay. 
I would still give it to the Long Halloween. That's the Loban only one that'll exist. Yep, Lobe and Sale. That's my shit. Would you okay, why? That? Why? Why? I think um, for me, from an artistic perspective, it's just drizzling in like shadows, uses of contrasting colors. Um, artistically, it's just it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous book. I gotta say, the animated series because the animated series is that but over like eight seasons or some shit like every episode is that it's with four seasons with a rare miss i think i have to give it to the animated series too just because i don't i don't think i would even have a relationship to batman if it wasn't for the animated series you know and like maybe i would have from other things but like me getting into the movies was because I already liked the cartoon, you know? And, um, like, I didn't start reading Batman comics until I was, like, 16 because Andy, like, turned me on to them, you know? Um, but I liked Batman before that because of the animated series. Uh, and I think, not only that, like, we've talked before about, like, how there's, it's a pretty popular opinion that, like, Kevin Conroy is the best Batman. And, you know, I that's an opinion that I definitely hold because of my nostalgia for that series and like that's the voice i hear in my head when i read batman you know um so i think so much of my connection to the character comes from growing up with that show being you know on for the entirety of my youth whether it was the main show or its spinoffs um so yeah to me that's like that's so much of the sale uh this is a tough tough question i'm really torn but I feel like I have to go with, oh man, I feel like I have to go with the Dark Knight. Oh, really? Whoa. Even though, obviously, Grant Morrison's Batman run is the greatest thing ever, the Dark Knight features uh, one of the only characters that does not appear in Grant Morrison's run who I love, my favorite villain from... Batman is Two-Face. And I thought that the Dark Knight did an excellent job with Two-Face. If not the definitive job with Two-Face, I think it presented the most coherent version of the Joker. And I think it did something for superhero movies that no other movie did. So while Morrison's run is a revelation in its own right, the Dark Knight changed the game. And so I have to I have to choose it. For me, I'm gonna go with the Dark Knight Returns. Huh. Well that's what? not my favorite well that's not my favorite really? Well that's not my favorite Batman thing. Uh in fact uh, of the six things I would say it's like I'd personally rank it number five. What it did for comic books is so important because it along with like Watchmen elevated the medium and brought in so many new people that I think it's greater cultural implications is that important to the medium that we all cover and love so much. Well, Dark Knight, the movie obviously was huge, like in a, in a pop culture kind of way. It was like arguably the biggest movie of the entire decade. I think the Dark Knight Returns is the most important for comic books. So that's why I'm choosing that to stay. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, solid. And now that's how we rewrote history. I think this game should be called the Recon. 
Um, Ooh, that's good. I like that, that is better. That is much Damn. better. Well, it's immediately embarrassed me by coming up with a better title. <laughs> Sean just editorialized your ass. Like he's just like, nah. Look, we're gonna do this. It's like, yep. Okay. No, Sean better. would be. Sean would make a really good editor. Clearly, maybe Superman should be able to fly. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's only logical. Um. Yeah, that was fun. I like that. I like that. Game. Nice little game. Nice little game. It's like a like a five way buy or sell. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Kind (laughs) of. Speaking of which, maybe maybe this is gonna be tough, but I really had my heart set on having this conversation with you guys because the internet has been going crazy with it. And I thought it'd be really fun for us to try to have this conversation on here. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be taxing. But I think it'll be worth our time. So, recently, Twitter has been having a conversation about the five perfect movies. Okay? Oh, yeah. And The Dark Knight in fact, actually was trending again because of this, because it ended up on so many lists. Now, I thought, I don't I don't care what the five perfect movies are, really. Okay. But the five perfect comic book movies, now that's a different conversation. So, just that word perfect, I know it throws people for a tizzy sometimes. So, as perfect, as close to perfect as can be Achieved in your own brain. The five perfect comic book movies. Okay. All right. I got a couple here. Right off the bat. I'm going to come swinging, folks. First movie that comes to mind. 1978 Superman. It's perfect Superman. Yeah. Per- perfect Superman movie. Perfect superhero movie. Got everything rolling as far as we... It, it taught us that a man can fly. And it, it, it was proof in the pudding that superheroes could be adapted to movies. Uh, the other one that comes to mind, this one's going to be, this one's a real niche pick for you folks at home. Uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Okay. Yep. Yep. Respect. Yeah. That's a great pick. Yep. Yep. I figured we were just going live action, but. That was in, that came out in theaters. I'll allow it. Yep. Yeah, it did. 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 That's crazy. I never. Okay. Cool. They. uh, So what? What it was going to be? It was originally going to be an hour and a half special, but what had happened was the animated series was so popular that Warner Brothers uh, outsourced some of the uh, uh, the like the background animation to a uh, like an animation studio in Korea. And that's why it looks so much different and so much better than anything else in the animated series. And so they spent all that money doing that. So Warner Brothers was basically like, fuck it, let's put it in theaters. And cool. it well, was and behold, tremendous. Um, all right, so two. Is this, so clarification, is this comic book movies or superhero movies? Because some superhero movies aren't based on comics. Comic book movies. Okay, okay. Uh, Logan. Yeah. Hmm. And of course, the aforementioned Dark Knight. Okay. These are th- those are the first four that come to mind. So you're stumped on a face. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Okay. I think I agree with those four, though. 
I I, I got to say this. I I know it's controversial, but I don't really care about that Superman movie. I knew you were going to say that. Same. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't do anything for me. When I was a kid, I used to watch it, and I was kind of bored. Really? Hmm. Yeah. I had a, a friend growing up who was, like, a huge Superman fan, and that, um, yeah, I don't know. I I connected with it when I was young, too. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm with Phil. I think it holds up. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm also struggling on a fifth one. So I, I feel, have, well, I have uh, well, Marco, the Dark Knight. If Superman's but, not there, what what's replacing it? What I said, if Superman 1978's not there, what are you replacing it with? He's trying I'm to tell a you other talk. things. <laughs> <laughs> so the Dark Knight, uh, Infinity War, Endgame, Fuck off. Logan, <laughs> and. I think, I think Spider Verse. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's Spider Verse is, is oh. a pick for me too. There it is. There's the five. It's a solid list. Yeah. It's a very strong list. I'm I'm impressed, Marco. Oh, Spider Verse was so good. Damn. So you're locked in on that, Phil? Then. Oh yeah, there's my five. That's your five. Hmm. Hmm. Surprised you didn't say Daredevil, uh, Phil. Oh, I love that Ben Affleck movie. <laughs> <laughs> the seminal Ben Affleck classic. Honorable mention, Ben Affleck's Daredevil. Oh, so I just thought of a I just thought of a superhero movie that isn't based on a comic book, but I wish it was because it's a tremendous movie. What's I, that? I also M- had Mystery Men. Oh. <laughs> love Mystery Men. So good. Uh my non comic book superhero movie was gonna be Iron Giant. Hell yeah, son. Oh, that's good. <laughs> but, Love it. Um, that's a Superman movie. Come on. Uh, all right, so the best I, think, one. I think for me, I'm going to go Dark Knight, Spider-Verse, um, Superman, and then, yeah, Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, great movie. All right. Oh, wait, no, one. fuck. Logan. <laughs> oh, no. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, Logan no. off your list, okay. man. <laughs> Yo, no right, one's fine. picked the Joker. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop Infinity War and give it to Logan. That's my list. All right, all right. Well, my list. I, I'm gonna be honest. There's a couple of picks on it that might surprise you. All right, Man of Steel, BVS. <laughs> okay, you're two for two. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. You guys are gonna guess my whole list. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I, I do like this game. I do like the game of guessing Sean's list. Okay, uh, I'm gonna say uh, uh, rises. Dark Knight rises. Yeah, okay. Um, the first Avengers Infinity War movie. Infinity War. Yeah. No. No. Damn. Okay. I would have thought it'd be like Avengers Two or something. So of course. End game. Okay. Oh yes. No Avengers no. Two. Oh, Ultron. Yeah. Ultra, Ultra, yeah. Ultra. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's been he's been now, on record with that. Yeah. Fucking forgot about that. God what, damn. What's the fifth? If you guys don't get this, we haven't been doing a show together. X Men. X Men. What? <laughs> I don't fucking know. Surely Three. not Dark Phoenix. <laughs> no, come on. This is easy. Is it uh, Winter Soldier? No. Damn. Civil War. No. 
Damn. <laughs> Black Panther. No. Damn. Oh my god. Do you want me to just tell you? Well, Pete's got to make one guess. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I'm trying to look at the numbers in the sky and like connect the dots here. <laughs> the numbers in the sky. <laughs> you know that meme of that old lady who's like looking at the math. Um, he's trying to he's, count cards. He's reading the the carbonation bubbles in his <laughs> diet coke. Yeah, exactly. You get it, Kale. <laughs> Dark Knight. No. We said Dark Knight. All right. What, what is it, Sean? No, you I said You guys said Rises, rises yeah. You said Rises, and he said yes. So I'm thinking, is it yeah, both? Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. It should be like Watchmen or something. No, it's not Watchmen. <laughs> I don't know how you guys didn't get this. It's obviously Justice League. <laughs> oh. That whole list was bold. You guys are ridiculous. <laughs> oh, my God. What's <laughs> wrong with any of you? I guess X-Men 3. I went in on the bit. <laughs> X-Men 3. <laughs> How could you say uh, uh, Age of Ultron? Wait, right, haven't Listen, you gone on record like, saying you like that one? I like. Yeah, I, I you like can't. It. He likes it. He didn't uh, say it was his favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's like. <laughs> I feel like they hit like a top something at some point when we did. No, no it's, it's not even in my top five. Just Marvel. So please. <laughs> uh, no, my real list would be something along the lines of Infinity War. Logan, The Dark Knight, probably uh, Endgame, and uh, geez, I think I would have to say, I think I would have to say, um, it's a it's a toss up at that point between like Black Panther and Civil War. Yeah, probably Black Panther. Uh, so Did yeah, you know what we forgot what? Uh, we forgot Scott Pilgrim. <gasps> no, we didn't. That's not, well, you, no, it's, we didn't it's, a, it's it. a comic book movie. Then I have to. Yeah, oh, fuck. Yeah, Pump <laughs> Phantasm put Scott Pilgrim. That's my list. Fuck you. Get out of here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no man, I love Edgar Wright. He's a great director. Yeah, but he's not Mask of the Phantasm. Great. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. He's better. <laughs> All right. I'm coming to your house. Fuck coronavirus. Flying <laughs> <laughs> over there to kick your ass. Well, the flight be like 20 bucks now, so. That's true. <laughs> Great timing. Maybe you'll make Comic-Con. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, unfortunately, no pals pulls, as has been the, uh, the situation lately. Just no new books. Although... Uh, DC is going to be changing that here really soon, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about those changes here uh, shortly. But as we get into the news, I wanted to shout out and talk about a situation that a store that is near and dear to a lot of our hearts um, that that's going through some tough times right now that needs our help, and that is Forbidden Planet. Uh, if you are a comic book fan and you live in New York or have shopped comics in New York, I would say there's a decent chance that at some point you have been to Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet is a store that I have been to uh, quite frequently in my life. When I was younger, it wasn't even for comics. I was going there for Yu-Gi-Oh! Nice. And, uh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, later on, I made 
the pilgrimage, if you will, uh, once I was into comics and, and checked the store out and really loved it. And I think um, it's a destination for any comic book fan. I don't, I don't feel like that's uh, an overstatement. But unfortunately, with everything that's going on right now, Forbidden Planet is no different than any other shop in that they are closed for business. Uh, they, they don't have the ability to take on walk-in traffic. And a store like that that thrives on, um, you know, tourism because it is such a such a big deal for comic book fans. It just can't get people in the doors. So they've had to make the tough decision to open a GoFundMe page where they're seeking help uh, to the tune of $300,000 to keep the store open. Uh, hopefully they can reach that, uh, to this point, they've reached, what was it? Uh, 30, $30,000. I think I saw right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. In two days. Which uh, is so $37,000 is where they're at at the moment. Um, and there, there is a, there is a statement here from Jeff Ayers, who is the general manager. Uh, and he had the following to say, <clears throat> uh, forbidden, Planet NYC has been one of the world's most acclaimed sellers of comics, graphic novels, toys, sci-fi, horror, fantasy books, and collectibles since 1981. Since then, we've called three different NYC locations on the same block home and settled into our present space at 832 Broadway in 2012. Comic store, toy store, sci-fi store, no matter what you label, Forbidden Planet, it's an independently run New York City institution. Many of us, myself included, have called this place a second home. Uh, he goes into his personal history with the store and, and stuff like that. Um, he says, whenever I think of Forbidden Planet and it, the role it's had in the careers of some of the biggest writers, artists, and other creators, from giving them their first shot in a major marketplace, even if it's just a few copies of their first self-published comic or homemade vinyl figures, to promoting their work when they reach the pinnacle of their fields, I think of this quote I once came across in an old issue of Comics Journal. I avoided Love and Rockets for a long time just because I thought it was just like a fanzine. I remember when I finally bought it after Forbidden Planet had opened, and I remember that they had a huge stack of them for years. Former Pratt, Pratt student Daniel Klaus. Since the beginning of the current crisis, myself and others have worked from home to help maintain the store's business and customer relationships and organize a way to come back from all of this. The sad truth of the matter is that nothing will be the same for some time, but we need to ensure that Forbidden Planet New York is in a position to reopen when the time comes to do that we are humbly asking for your assistance to keep forbidden planet on its feet uh and you know there's there's a lot more to that post uh he goes on to say we've gone a month with zero revenue coming in and massive expenses going out rent utilities and other bills have added up quickly the cost of doing business in new york city is astronomical especially in a ground floor location off union square we want all of our staff to have a job waiting for them when to, when the quarantine is lifted. And of course, their safety and that of our customers will be of paramount concern. Uh, we want to be there for you when you need a space to escape hard realities like the nightmare we are all going through at this very moment. We want to continue to influence and contribute to the culture of not only New York City, but the entire world. Art can change a person's life. It doesn't matter if it's a novel, 
comic, movie, or statue. It all has the power to inspire. As people with the responsibility to provide you with the art that achieves just that, <coughs> we take this job very seriously. It's not easy for us to ask, but in order to, to continue to do this, we need your help. So that's the plea from Forbidden Planet. And it's unfortunate that they have to do this, but that's where we're at right now. Yep. Yeah, it's um, it's it sucks because like that is a place that I'm sure Sean, you've had the same experience or, or Cal too. Like you're waiting for a movie, and you're just like, I gotta kill like 20 minutes. Like let me just like walk in here. Sure. Or, I remember one time, um, I used to go to Baruch, which is on 23rd, and I used to make the walk from there, go through the park, just because I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go pick up some comics, gonna go do whatever. Got caught in the rain, like oh, let me chill over here. Like it's uh, it's sad to to hear that and that you know this is probably going to be this is obviously indicative of the rest of the comic book stores that are even smaller than forbidden planet right because most other stores sell outside of midtown just comics and at least this store has the advantage of you know having signings they had the advantage of the toys all that and uh it's just a shame well you have to think too like they're also famous you know, like to Sean's right. point, it is like a destination. And, you know, like I grew up in New Jersey and like when I was in high school and my friends and I used to go into the city, you know, like on a Friday night or whatever, because we were bored, um, we would go and like hit up all the shops. And, you know, and this was like one of the ones we would go to because it was like this legendary comic book store. So they can put up a GoFundMe and raise $300,000 and pay their rent. And I'm sure if they need to do it again, people will come through. I just threw them 10 bucks because I have those memories and I don't want to see it close, you know? Um, but not every comic book store has that safety net that they can fall back on either, you know? Um, and I think that's the sad part. And and to that, actually, um, I'm, I'm pulling up the... The other one here but for the mad cave stuff my my hope and well my fear actually is that similar to what happened with the mad cave relief fund for comic book retailers um they had an initial goal and we thought we we covered that maybe two three weeks ago um at the time they had about i want to say maybe nine ten k um three weeks later and i've been i've been trying to retweet as possible but uh they only have about 12k right now so my, my biggest fear is that this is the initial fund. This is the initial wave of people who uh, come in support. But at some point, it'll it'll stop. Because um, that goal of 300K is, it it's large. It's high. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a high goal. And uh, I'm just afraid that, you know, yes, this is all well and good now. But what does that mean in two weeks? Um, just looking at Mad Cave. Um, so yeah, please, please donate to the store. Mm. Well, and, and, and a bunch of a bunch of creators just did uh, auctions and stuff for uh, Bink. Yes, yes. Uh, so, and that that seemed like it was getting donations and and auctions and things that were off the charts. So, hopefully, that helps make a dent in you know some of the some of these expenses as well as the ones they were you know for smaller shops and and. Forbidden Planet just put this out, you know, uh, a couple of days ago. There's still plenty of time for creators to signal boost this and, you know, reach out and see what they can do to help this store specifically because we talked about how it's affected our lives. And I know that there are plenty of creators who have similar stories, you know, um, 
lots of creators grew up in New York and for sure, for sure, encountered Forbidden Planet at some point. Yeah. So uh, hopefully there is that push that comes from them as well. We bring and, this up every week, but this is the time more than ever. Like we have to band together to try to save these places. Yeah, absolutely right. So, really hopeful that Forbidden Planet is able to weather this storm. And uh, you know, if we if we have to, we'll look back at this next week and talk about you know where it's at and signal boost it again. Well, uh, let's pick up out of that segment with something that will uh, cheer us up a little bit. Welcome to Would You Rather. It's a segment. Oh my where, god, another one. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a segment. Where, is this a Phil episode? Apparently, it yes. is. Uh, it's a segment I lifted for Comedy Bang Bang, where I, your host, will present our contestants with two options. Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. Sorry, sorry. You, you are what? I'm the host. Where <laughs> you'll have two options, and uh, you'll have to choose between them, and. Only I have the answers. There's only one correct answer. The way it works is I will open the floor so that you can ask your clarifying questions. Uh, and no one can give me their answer until I close the floor to questions. So I'm going to give you your two options here. You cannot pick your answer until you ask your questions. And at the end, I will ask for your choice. First up, would you rather have the ability to fly... But you have to watch X3 to Last Stand three times a day. Or a different comic book creator will travel with you every day. This is easy for me. Now that you're in quarantine, they're gonna be they're gonna be with you. But please ask your questions. So okay. Is it flight after watching uh X-Men 3, three times once, or is it three times every day? You have to watch or it. three times each each time you want to fly? You have to watch it three times a day. Can it can it play in the background? Yeah, but you have to be able to, you still have to kind of watch it. <sighs> I can definitely watch movies in my sleep. It's 104 minutes. I, I mean, I have an answer. Not yet, All right. not yet, not yet. Oh, No answers until okay. I close the floor to All questions. Right, yeah. So 104 minutes, that's, that's, that's like several hours of your day. Every day you got to watch this movie. That's right. But you get to fly anywhere. That's the thing. Like, I, I like it better under Kale's parameters. If I had to do that before I wanted to fly, that would be fine. It's, but if it's I not to- my, it's not my would you rather. So No, that's I know. Right. I'm just saying, like, under those circumstances, I could see that being a better pick. But without now, that context, I don't know. Are you now nuts? Cr- you want to have you want to sit there and watch that movie several hours before you get to go fly? A day. A day. That's if if it wasn't a day, then I would then I would but, think about it. But every time you want to go fly, you have to wait and then go watch the movie back to back. That's yeah. awful. Three times. I have a question. <laughs> yes. Yes, Kale. What are what are the parameters for the comic creator flying? Yes. With you? They don't fly with you. The comic creator just comes visit you, and they, they basically spend the day around. with you. Yeah, they just hang out. Of, mm. of any caliber? Yes. You don't get to choose the creator. One day it could be a Scott Lobdell. The next it could be, you know, Alan Moore. Oh. Is there a way to track uh, who it is? No. You, they just show up at your door in the morning, and they're like, hey, I just thought we could hang out for the day, you know? You also have to think that some of them are going to be people that you don't like. That's right. And it, you might... And, is there a way... Yes. Is like, there a way to trap some of them? 
No one. What do you want? You're just gonna like. It's like Ethan Van Skyver shows up and Marco just shoves him in a closet and closes the door until the next day when he poops out of it back no. home and the next person. No, shows no, no. Up. It puts it puts the makeup in the basket. <laughs> Jesus, Marco. Yes, yes, Marco. You could trap the creators, though. That is a crime. But like can he trap them Because what's happening Are they like magically showing up Or are they like traveling to you <laughs> By like strange compulsion they're, they're... That's a point Try to imagine Marco <laughs> trapping Greg Capullo Not gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> Well that's the thing They watch X3 three times a day So they can fly to visit you obviously Oh okay. So my my clarifying question is: Can okay. one of the creators? Is it possible for the creator to be Kale? Uh, yes, of course. All right. Well, I know what I'm not choosing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm about to close the floor to wait questions. Wait. Get your last questions wait. in. Wait, wait, last question. If okay. I proclaim to be a writer, do I then get a visitation from myself, and will there be two of me? No, it doesn't work that way. Damn. Any last questions? Okay, I'm closing the floor to questions. All all questions are done. Now I'm going to ask for your answers. Only I have the correct answer, and I'll award you points uh, based on your correct answer. Uh, Kale, what are you doing? I think I I don't want to hang out with people. I think I gotta go X three. I'm gonna get up early. I'm gonna push that shit out of the <laughs> out of the way, and I'm gonna fly home. Okay, yeah, nice, Pete. What are you What are you picking? I'd pick the comic book creator thing, and I would if it's somebody that like I didn't want to deal with or that I like actively didn't like or something like that. I would just find a way to ditch them. You shove them in the closet. <laughs> yeah, something. And wait for the next one. And if it's somebody cool, I'll have you know I'll record an interview with them. We get a new interview up every single day. Sounds good to me. Okay, Marco. Yeah, I'm definitely doing creators. Um, so after I trap them, right, I'm gonna farm their IPs, and we're gonna build. <laughs> and they're only allowed to. They're only allowed out if they can create one a comic that sells more than a million copies, or two, make a movie that makes more than half a billion. What is this, Marvel in the dark? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sean, you had an answer picked right from the beginning. What's your choice? Yeah, I mean, listen, it'd be cool to chill with those creators and all, but none of the creators will be Jean Grey, and she's in X3. So, yeah, I'll watch that three times a day because she's in it. Uh, and then the, I'll fly. Yeah, Kale and, uh, Kale and Sean are the ones that are correct, obviously. We're not going to commit any crimes on this podcast. You each get 1,000 points. Uh, sorry, Pete Marco, you guys awesome. lose this round. Uh, you guys want to do one more? I have a second one. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's been. And that's how you play. Really thought about it. That's how you play. Would you rather? We're gonna do that. We're gonna do it again next week. Okay. Yeah, I like it though. That was fun. I cool. like being right. I appreciated the thousand points. What can go. I redeem them for? We'll have to find out next week. Points. The points are like fill bucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I can buy I like something it. from Phil's house oh, shit. with the points. Ooh. No, no, they only have from a cash value of one shelf. one thousandth of a penny. Uh, just oh, don't sh- buy the dog I live with. I, <laughs> I definitely like that there are winners and losers in that segment. I think that's a good addition to the show. <laughs> We're all winners in well, that segment. <laughs> 
<laughs> Speaking of winners and losers, I got to tell you guys that ever since last week, I haven't been able to stop thinking about the prospect of absolutely trouncing the competition in the newlywed game. Oh, my yes. God, the newlywed game. <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm getting ready to host that baby. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we haven't figured out exactly what we want the prizing to be for the winner yet. But uh, what we have so, figured out, though, is that Marco's going to lose. Uh, <laughs> Almost I think Marco figured that out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Phil, you're the host. You're not supposed to trash talk the contestants. Oh, no, no, it's not trash talking when it's fact. <laughs> so when I told Jess about this idea, she said, I think I know you better than you think I do. <laughs> so I don't know. Okay, what do you get if you guys win? What do I get if we win? Yeah. From my wife? Yes. <laughs> Hopefully a good night's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she'll let me sleep on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, out of, wait. Out of the doghouse into the couch. <laughs> Hold on. So the implication that I got out of that is that sleeping on the couch would be better than sleeping with your wife. Is that correct? No, no, no. Hey, He's sleeping on the floor now. It. She hogs the covers. She's hot, both looks-wise and temperature-wise. She's like a furnace. Wow. Sleep on the couch. I'll get the blankets to myself. I'll keep the room nice and cold. Don't get better than that. <laughs> All right. Well, unfortunately, you're going to have to get... You're going to have to, you know, stay comfortable sleeping next to your cozy wife because you will not be winning this game. That's what uh, I like to listen, hear. Listen, if that's what's at stake, I'm going to win this game. <laughs> <laughs> Kale's making flashcards. If I have to, if I have to cheat, you know I'm gonna. He's gonna write and, answers on his hand. And we're all stuck in quarantine, so the losing teams are gonna have a very long rest of the quarantine. <laughs> if it's proven that they don't know each other very well. And the person, oh, no. and the person who's gonna sleep best of all is me. That's true. Not if I get that couch. That sweet, <laughs> sweet couch. <laughs> yeah, Phil, would you have to sleep to sleep well? I'm, uh, fair. Uh, Pete, are you going to win? <laughs> Pete, give us your Am best I gonna case. Am I going to win? Yeah, give us your best case. I mean, I'd like to think I'm going to win, but <laughs> I, I get like... When... <laughs> give us more than that. Come on. Got what, him. are you kidding me? You didn't even let me say what I was going to say. <laughs> Fucking got him. <laughs> Okay, I was gonna say I I when we were asked this question without the possibility of there actually being a competition, I bet on Sean and Rebecca, and I wasn't lying when I said that. I think that they're going to win. God. I'm gonna give it a, the, you know the old college try, but Pete's the worst at this game. He's not even bragging. Hey man, well Yo, I, I can brag. Like, Look, I'm gonna lose so thing. hard. I- <laughs> <laughs> Marco's ready to be the biggest loser. Yeah, like that's you know I I would rather be modest now and then triumphant and uh, you know rub your face in it then or uh, if I go. lose it, I'm like well hey I always thought y'all was gonna win so wait 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 let me get this straight uh, Marco Pete you guys don't believe in the strength of your relationships the core the foundation that defines a major aspect of your life and your personality oh this isn't an aspect of my relationship that she actively entertains. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have that same problem. 
So no. I love it. Well, but it's like we said last week. Sarah and Pete have only been together for like a week. And- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like two days. Oh, congratulations! By the way, Pete. Oh, that's right. That's right. Pete got engaged. <laughs> I did get engaged. All right, fair enough. A Labor Day weekend. You're right. <laughs> Was that one of those like Vegas weddings where you just kind of like, oh, I love you. Let's get married. Yeah. And then you uh, yeah. drive by with your your bride-to-be who's um, asleep because of dubious tactics that you use to get her there. Whoa, whoa, then, whoa. Oh, sorry. It, sorry. It's officiated watching. by uh, an Elvis impersonator. Do you, do you pay to take your lovely life, Linda? Nope, Sarah, to be your lawfully wedded wife. <laughs> what is this, Bob's Burger? <laughs> <laughs> Peter, honey, I need to get some smokes down at the menthol store first. Yeah, that's what Sarah sounds like. <laughs> it is <You> now. <laughs> yeah, no, just like your favorite uh, superhero, Superman. Superman, yep. <laughs> so, quick question. Quick question for you guys. Um... Pop quiz. Who can tell me what is causing us to be quarantined? Wasn't it 5G. that G? Wasn't that giant alien from Watchmen? Five G. Five G. No, the, I think the, of any the comic book event known as Five G. <laughs> Damn. I think if anything, this whole situation has proved that Ozymandias's plan wouldn't have worked. We haven't pulled together at all. It's hard to pull <laughs> together when you're stuck inside. Watch. Watchmen proved Ozymandias' plan didn't work. You're right. Yeah. I know. <laughs> All right, but 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 a real answer, though. Why are we quarantined? COVID-19. The coronavirus? People read Thank too many you. Scott Lobdell comics. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Coronavirus. And ate a, and ate a bat. Because <laughs> <laughs> comics made me so insane, I ate a bat. <laughs> became the Batman no, in anyone a very check on, different way. Anyone check on Ozzy Osbourne? I hope he's all right. <laughs> he absorbed oh. coronavirus. He He's just fine. He's had it for years. Yeah. That's why he's in the shape he's, he's, he's in. Really nice. <laughs> Good God. But no, so the, the, the key word in what Pete said, which was coronavirus, is the word virus. Hmm. And so here's a great idea. Why don't we start a new imprint in comics mm-hmm. called Virus? I love it. Yeah. Brilliant. Timely, <sighs> good SEO. Higher <laughs> <laughs> search volume than ever. <laughs> you know what, though, guys? Someone already did it. What? Ah, shit. They're heavy, heavy, metal. heavy metal. Heavy metal. Oh. Heavy nice. metal, who Gotta is. Go Graham Morrison. <laughs> most <laughs> known for being, you know, like an anthology magazine, has announced and is launching a spinoff, which is going to be a creator owned imprint called Virus. <laughs> Can I. Should I count the ways? That that is not the best idea of all time. Please, Sean, no, 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 break no, no, it down no. for us. <laughs> it's heavy metal, though. It's a pretty metal move. You gotta. Yep. 
<laughs> that's true. That yep. is pretty metal. <laughs> yep, that's what I was thinking. So the publisher of Heavy Metal said, when the pandemic hit, disrupting everything and anyone and everyone, it forced us to look at how we continue to keep the industry alive and provide fans of comicdom with the medium we all love. Unfortunately, there will be casualties in the retail space and perhaps some publishers, but we're fortunate to have an alternative and an ability to service all the fans as well as talented creators of this wonderful medium, comic books. Now, I should point out that this is a digital-only endeavor. Um, So that's fine, I guess. so take down your Norton antivirus and get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, the, the CEO of Heavy Metal, Matt Medney, said, When a virus pulls us apart, nothing brings us closer together than great stories. And that's what we're trying here. We're trying to bring people together through great stories, find the silver lining of the pandemic through genre, and that's the message. So even though the name is kind of more on the dark side, <gasps> the ethos is on the light side, and that sort of juxtaposition has always been heavy metal. I'm sorry, real quick. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What if what if dark side's main uh, protagonist to fight against was named light side? <laughs> <laughs> that's awful that's, that's the kind of thing about. that if, if Darkseid was like a golden age character that would have been a thing <laughs> uh, yeah I mean look great for trying I guess it got them it got them in the news you know no one is really like talking about heavy metal in a major way um, prior to this uh, Joseph Illage Illage who is um, one of the editors over there, he actually survived coronavirus. Wow. Damn. And now is working for the virus. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> if you, know, you can't Legion. beat him, join him. But wait, you beat him. <laughs> <laughs> and joined him. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Thanks for that input, Sarah. Wow. Wow. Damn, that was funny. <laughs> Love ya. All right. <laughs> oh, man. I think... <laughs> I think now Pete is the one who's willing to brave the virus to go and check you, Yeah, It's real close, too. Yeah. I'm going to catch him after work the next time and break his kneecaps. Oh, you're going to catch Kale? No, not Kale. Phil oh, first. I was going to... Oh, okay. After work? Good luck. <laughs> I have to have I a job first, house. baby. <laughs> um, Kale, give wow. me a job cleaning up the blood from Phil's pop kneecaps when I'm done with yeah. him. <laughs> Fly over here. The flight will cost you 20 bucks. I'll pay you 25 <laughs> So we should talk about some of the titles that will be spawning out of the virus. Uh, Garbage Factory Anthology, (laughs) which is alternatively the name of this podcast. (laughs) Oh, my God. That would have missed opportunity. The Garbage Factory Anthology. (laughs) Or just Garbage Factory, whatever. Uh, By Jake O'Fire and Danny Kim. 
Hymn of the Teata by Matt Medney, who is the CEO, uh, Morgan Rosenblum, and and more. Uh, Nomobots, which has no uh, creative team associated per this Newsarama article. The Red by Morgan Rosenblum, Matt Medney, and more. And Dottie's Inferno by Bob Fingerman. Uh, and there are three other unnamed books. And Ron Mars is going to be joining the fray and uh, writing one of these. So what do you guys think about this as a move on Heavy Metal's part? Legitimately, do you think that A, launching a digital-only uh, creator-driven imprint is a good thing to be doing right now? And B, do you think naming it the virus or just virus is wise? <clears throat> I do think that there is value to launching a digital um, publishing arm now because it's not like heavy metal is cropping up out of nowhere, right? Like they do have <clears> – <throat> they're already an existing business with an infrastructure. They're creating an imprint um, and creating like a digital imprint is, you know, probably a lot easier than trying to cr- like actually publish new physical product. So I would say like the barrier for risk is probably pretty low, especially when you consider that, you know, um like one of the main books is is going to be written by the owner of the company anyway, right? So like I think all those things to me seem like moves where this is probably like a low risk venture that could potentially have a pretty high reward because to your point sean who's paying attention to heavy metal for the most part anyway let alone right now and this got them in the news and there's a potential that people who are home and looking for comics to read might check it out and that's like a gamble that i guess you know they're willing to take right now um as far as the name goes it very much um Kale said before that it's like it's very metal, right? And to to do that, and I think it is, but it feels in like a very juvenile, like I'm a 16 year old who's gonna have like a a patch on the back of my jacket that says "fuck you" or you know, like has like a a, a cross upside down on it. Like it feels like very like um shock value for shock value's sake kind of thing. And then he's like, but the message is this juxtaposition of light and And it's like, all right, man. Like, it, it feels a little juvenile, you know? Um, but that, to me, isn't enough of a reason uh, to write it off or to, like, you know, give them any more shit than I just did. Yeah. And 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 to that, I think, in the U.S., at least, Heavy Metal's not as big a name. Um, it's definitely much bigger in uh, the U.K. and Europe. So... To that, the infrastructure is absolutely set up. Um, and to your point, Pete, it's definitely going to be something that is low risk and at least relatively high reward. Um, Potentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I think I think the name is, you know, it's a little cheesy, but I, I guess it gets the job done for, for what they're trying to put out. And yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, this, is, this is good otherwise because I think you still need to be able to be, at least creatives still need to be able to be creative. And I think this is at the very least an outlet that has sort of a direction it, it, in, in the sense that it, there's, a, there's an idea that they're trying to put out there. Um, and hey, man, if they, can, if they can do that now and there isn't a, a worry about, I guess, endangering folk, like then, yeah, I mean, all the power to you guys. Um, I think it's cool as hell. I like it. I think calling it the virus is pretty punk. I think... Uh... <laughs> 
I think giving it this opportunity is pretty cool. Uh, I think right now you have to go digital only, and uh, yeah, I'm all for it. This is rad. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I like it when people do things that they probably shouldn't do, and I think that naming this imprint virus is something they shouldn't do. So... <laughs> Sure. So you're into it? (laughs) Yeah, fine. It's 2020. Let's do everything crazy. Like, hell yeah. Shit. Like, (laughs) on on the scale of things that people are doing right now that are insane, that's not that high. Nah. So shoot for the moon, heavy metal, get your bread. You know, hopefully somebody like gets behind it, you know? Yeah, dude. Exactly. Phil gets it. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of insane, <laughs> hell yeah, <laughs> we finally got some more information about uh, specifically Pete's most anticipated sequel, Joker. Definitely not Joker. Definitely Venom, which, not as revealed Joker. on. <laughs> I'll never forget how angry Pete was after watching Joker. (laughs) I'll never forget how how confused I was after leaving Venom and being like, huh, I like that. (laughs) I don't know why, but that was a suck, but I enjoyed it. That was a satisfying three act structure. Venom's gonna suck. Phil says it's gonna be really good. Turns out, (laughs) well, it sucked, but it was fun. (laughs) <laughs> Either way, Act Three ended up with me sending a video to your brother, being like, "You know what? I liked it." That's amazing. Uh, so, as revealed on Tom Hardy's Instagram page, we learned the title for Venom Two, which is "Let There Be Carnage." It's hell yeah! Bad. Hell it's yeah. so bad! It's hell so yeah! Bad. If y'all are excited for Venom Two, give me a hell yeah! Let hell yeah! You. <laughs> Especially because it's called Venom Two. Let there be carnage. That's it, like such <laughs> subtitle. Let there there's, be there's, I don't think it's Venom Two. Let there be carnage. I think it's just Venom. That's let what there it be says carnage. in the comic book article. No, but you gotta look yeah. at the. You gotta watch the. Oh, Tom like already the... posted to his Instagram a video reveal of it, oh. and it's Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Uh, and I love it, too, because the style is definitely um, reminiscent of, like, Venom comics, the way that the title is written. Uh, I really I really liked it, that element of it, anyways. And it's coming out on um, June, what was it, June 25th? June 25th, 25th. Yeah, June 25th, 2021. Do you think the carnage is your friend? I was born by the carnage. Molded by it. <laughs> What's the third thing? I don't remember. What did you... Was there no. a third thing? <laughs> yeah. You know, he was bathing in blood before he was even a man? No? Okay. I, I didn't see Venom. Otherwise, I could add to that bit. <laughs> So the, the the synopsis is the the evolution story of Marvel's most enigmatic, complex, and badass character Venom. Eddie Brock 
is a broken man after he loses everything, including his job and fiance. Just when his life is at its lowest, he becomes host to an alien which results in extraordinary superpowers, transforming him into Venom. Will these powers be enough for this new lethal protector to defeat great evil forces, especially against the, f- the far stronger and more weaponized symbiote rival, Riot? Now, what's so great about what I just read is that that is definitely the uh, synopsis for Venom 1, not Venom 2. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? <laughs> great job, comicbook.com. Slaying it, guys. Loved it, loved it. Unbelievable. I don't know if you guys I don't know if you guys caught it though. In that synopsis, they use the word far. So that means Spider Man's gonna be in this in Venom (laughs) 2. Damn. He's coming from far to get home to his home world of the Venom verse. Verse? Wow. Okay. Peter Parker, Tom Holland in Venom 2. Let there be Peter. Carnage. So, I think it's really interesting that they went with this title because they leapt right over the more obvious title, which would be Maximum Carnage, if you were right? going to have Carnage in the title. It's an uh, insane amount obvious. of brand recognition. <laughs> <clears throat> A lot of people who pay attention have said that this title actually probably references more than just Carnage. Because of the nature of the title, it's kind of like um, almost not biblical, but almost like uh, almost there's a reverence to it. Like, let there be carnage. Uh, And that kind of signals to the uh, absolute carnage story where carnage is, is killing as many people as possible and there's kind of like this cult of carnage thing going on and it's all in service to null the god of symbiotes so people have been positing that maybe carnage is killing people in this movie in order to serve null and bring him into our world huh i don't know i mean he looks pretty chill <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who can't see, <laughs> Marco is holding up an image from the post credit scene of Venom 1, which if you somehow haven't seen it yet or don't know, includes Woody Harrelson in the role of uh, Cletus Cassidy. Yeah, Marco, can you can you put that up again? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's really funny. How do you guys feel about Woody Harrelson. <laughs> I like Woody Harrelson. He's a good actor. Um, is I, he Carnage? I, I, I can see him as he could definitely be Carnage. He's definitely yeah, gonna be yeah. Carnage. Like, sure. definitely. I don't He's see played it. like, you know, <clears throat> I've I've seen him as both um, like a tough tough Southern guy and as a crazy guy. So combine those two, he's you know Cletus. Well, and his character from uh, the Hunger Games, obviously. Never seen that. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot he was in the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. I liked him in that. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with Carnage. I just I I genuinely it out there. can't think of something I've seen him in that I didn't like him in. I you know yeah. I haven't seen his whole disc you know filmography or whatever. White men can't jump. Love that movie. Are you crazy? 
<laughs> is he good in it? Of course uh, he is. Yeah, it's a classic. Oh, okay. I thought, oh, I thought so you, you were, were listing saying... that as another example of him being great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my ass. God. I thought you were saying it was bad. No, it's a classic. Sean's like, fuck you, man. Wow. Like... <laughs> I thought we were going to have to be done professionally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm particularly fond of his... Uh, uh, of Zombieland too. That's like one of my favorite things that he's been in. I, I oh, yeah, really good. enjoyed that movie when it came out. Cheers, uh, first season of True Detective. Yeah. Sure. Yes, he was incredible on True Detective. So yeah, I mean overall he's great, and I feel like he is malleable enough where he's every role I've seen him in that's been different. He's succeeded in, and I, I don't see why he wouldn't be a good Carnage. He did a movie in the. 80s i think where he was like a a teenage serial killer and he it, it inspired like a a a, a true to, uh a true to life like cross-country serial killing what's it like a copycat cold yeah wow cold-blooded killers uh yeah i can't remember yeah, natural born killers natural born killers yes thank you i would just like to point out that the notion from kale of teenage serial killers got a thumbs up from Pete. What the hell is that about? No, no, no. That he played a teenage serial killer as in, okay, cool. He's played a serial killer before. So oh, like, okay. I thought nail. you were into just teenage no, no, serial no, killers. No, no, Sorry, that was misleading. <laughs> oh, that's, that's pretty. That sounds pretty on brand, on brand for Let's Pete. Be, well, yeah. I mean, come on. We all watched Riverdale for three seasons, Kel. I, or two or whatever the fuck. Well, uh, sorry. Yeah, we did we? Two? Because I stopped after two. Oh, okay, that's what it was, two. And also, the dad was the serial killer, so... Well, now I Try now again. you spoiled Riverdale for me. Jesus! <laughs> season season two? He said the dad. There's like six dads on that show. <laughs> and also, and also, that show is so far gone, my man. That's not even spoiling anything. Catch up. It's great. It's I, crazy. I, <laughs> they're, well, on their, a... they're on their third musical episode. Dude, I, I stopped watching after <laughs> season two, but everybody we know who still watches it has told me it's gone so far off the rails that I almost want to catch up just to well, see how crazy it is. Here's a spoiler for you. I don't give a shit. So back <laughs> on Carnage, uh, I think that Woody Harrelson can get the job done. I think he is a very talented actor. And I think that it'll be really fun to watch him and Tom Hardy uh, play off of each other. The question is... <laughs> it'll be like trailer trash dueling banjos. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The question is, does Spider-Man appear in this movie? hundred percent he has to. I can break up the fight. I could see it. There's gonna be a scene where Tom Hardy once again jumps in a lobster tank and Spider-Man shows up and is like, Boy, that's weird, Eddie. Why'd you do that, bro? I don't know. I could kind of see it going either way. Um, I think if the theory that you're pointing out, Sean, comes to be true, then I would think probably not. Um, if it is like the, you know, the um, absolute carnage storyline rather than... Because if, if, I think if Spider-Man was going to show up, you'd want to have that Maximum name and play on that. Because that's what Maximum is, is Spider-Man and Venom being like, all right, we hate each other, but we both got to we gotta stop Carnage, right? Then if it's not that, it, it you know... I think that's why we're getting a different title. Yeah. You know, I, think, I, I don't know. Like, I think 
Spider-Man appearing alongside Venom would not happen, in my opinion, in a movie that didn't have Spider-Man in the title. So mm. I think Spider-Man, Venom, Maximum Carnage makes sense for like a pseudo sequel to Venom, but not quite Venom 3, not Venom 3 enough to be called that. Um, and it's kind of weird because obviously Venom and Spider-Man don't hate each other, so they'll have to find a way to get them to hate each other, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think uh, Tom Holland will appear in this movie. Nah. Now, Tobey Maguire. That's oh. my favorite theory going. I got to tell you, man. Now you're thinking. I love the idea that Tobey Maguire is, is like waiting in the wings to make his big return. And everything they're doing is building to that. I mean, there is um, somebody was talking about like getting him in like a, a Spider-Verse sequel. And I feel like even if we got that, I'd be stoked. What if didn't we what, didn't we talk about that? Sure, we sure we did. Absolutely. What if he becomes Peter B. Parker? The implication is that's who he is. Yeah. From oh, Spider Verse. Oh shit! Very much. <laughs> Marco, mind blown. Yo, actually though, <laughs> it'll probably be a while until we get a, a, a trailer or anything like that. Um. But uh, believe it or not, I'm looking forward to this movie. Gotta tell you. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It's low stakes, because if it sucks, it'll just be what I expected the first one to be, and then maybe it'll end it. And no, if it's, it's great, then I'll enjoy it, and great. And if it sucks, but it's still fun, then it'll suck, and it'll be fun. So I, know, be I feel like you just looped yourself yep. right there. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. 5G, man. 5G's broken him. 5G. <laughs> Surf the web, surf the web. <laughs> All right. So we have to talk about what's going on in the industry of comics, as we have for several weeks now. Uh, it's an unavoidable topic, especially this week, just because DC and Diamond are in the middle of like a secret war or a cold war with each other. Um, and it's it's getting weird. It, it's it's really getting into a weird place. So, a quick recap for those of you who are just joining this now and haven't heard what we've had to say or, or what's been going on in the industry. Obviously, things are shut down. Uh, and Diamond, who is the only game in town when it comes to direct market publishing for comics, has basically said we are not publishing any books due to what's happening with the coronavirus. And we're just looking out for everybody. DC's not cool with that. DC says, well, okay, we're going to find a way to get our comics published anyways. And that's kind of been their stance all along. They got a lot of heat at the beginning of April for wanting to just push ahead. And so they paused plans on that. But here we are now towards the end of April and they are resuming plans. They have enlisted two new, quote unquote, new LCSs to help them publish comics going forward, those being UCS Comics Distributors and Lunar Distributors, a.k.a. Uh, Midtown Comics and DCBS. Of course, if you're into comics, you know Midtown and DCBS you may have shopped with. They're the two biggest comics retailers in the world, uh, and um, they are now going to be handling DC's 
publishing of books, which will take place on Tuesdays now instead of Wednesdays. DC Comics, now this is the new information. DC Comics reached out to retailers and told them that their orders with Diamond have been canceled and that they need to reorder with UCBS or DCBS rather, or yeah, UCBS or whatever. This is all so confusing, these names. (laughs) UCS, I'm sorry. Uh, With UCS or Lunar, depending on where they live, to get their books. Now, that's weird because DC is essentially saying that they're not going to be publishing these new books through Diamond. Well, Diamond says that that's not true. Diamond says that the orders have not been canceled and that they are still a DC distributor. So, (laughs) I know, it makes no sense. So... (laughs) Like nah, uh, bro. We didn't break up. What are you talking about? Yeah, who? Yeah, who's lying? <laughs> they sent out an email on Friday. Diamond did titled "Breaking News: DC Comics Ordering Update," and it says the following: We appreciate your patience as we work with our longtime partner DC Comics on details following their recent announcement regarding their upcoming slate of weekly periodicals. We have confirmed that the orders you place with Diamond Comic Distributors for upcoming products are still in our system and will be fulfilled when we resume the distribution of new weekly products. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty that, weird. Well, that also... That sounds like PR language to me because they're they're pretty careful saying there that the things that you have already ordered are still in place and will be shipped when we resume sending product, right? That doesn't mean that moving forward, they're going to have that connection. But that, I think, is ancillary to the point that <laughs> that now, if you order through these new public, these new um, distributors, but Diamond is saying that your order with them is still intact, you would essentially be double dipping. So if you order Daphne Byrne number four through Diamond, you're still going to get it. Right. I love that. That's Re- the book we always reference. <laughs> I know. Me too. I was just thinking that. <laughs> it is the comic everyone's waiting on is Daphne Byrne number four. <laughs> Hottest book in the market. Um, so, so yeah, that that to me stands out big because you're basically in a position as a retailer where – if you choose to order through these new publishers and yet your order with Diamond is still intact, can you cancel the Diamond order? Right. Now you have to make a choice. Can I can I throw out a theory here? I think what my read on this based on the information that you've currently presented us, right, is like I feel like DC is trying to sever ties with Diamond in favor of these new solutions that they've created which i'm sure are beneficial to them for some business reasons and they're telling all these stores to switch over because they want them all on their proprietary system more or less and diamond's still trying to salvage that relationship and diamond still thinks that they can negotiate so they're like don't cancel don't cancel yet because they're thinking that they can still work something out because i feel like diamond to me this statement sounds like 
a very careful way of them to say like don't cancel the orders that you've already made because we will be fulfilling them but it the, it sounds vague enough to me that it feels like there's uncertainty about whether the new product that they haven't yet ordered will be available through Diamond. So let's take your let's take your premise, right? Let's take your theory. If Diamond wants to fix their relationship with DC that is clearly um, damaged right now, would it be wise to remove the gem label? from DC comic books. Now what I mean by that is that when you when you go through uh Diamond's solicits for future titles, they they basically assign certain titles with a, a status. So for example, DC Dark Horse IDW Image Dynamite and Boom get gem while Marvel gets spotlight. And basically, that is to tell retailers the books that they should be focused on. So the major titles that are coming from whatever company, that's the stamp that lets you know, hey, did you order enough of this? Are you looking at this? Did you talk to your audience about this? Uh, And DC doesn't have that label anymore. Yeah, they, they, they went ahead and removed that label from their books, which prompted uh, a question from Newsarama in an email whether or not DC was still a premier diamond publisher. So uh, they also asked whether or not Diamond was still DC's exclusive distributor to the uh, comic book specialty market, which is a.k.a. the direct market. Uh, And the spokesperson said, all they said was, DC is still a premier diamond publisher, and I cannot comment on the specific language of our contracts. So, the answer is, they didn't answer. Uh, Yeah, we swear. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. If, If Diamond is concerned with really fixing the relationship, is that a move they make? Uh, that's a yeah i mean that's a great point right like i that seems like a very um like if they know that the relationship isn't going to be moving forward but they have a certain amount of stock that they still need to work through maybe that's what's going on then where like they are telling like diamond is effectively lying and saying to these shops that hey like keep these orders with us because we want to get paid for this product and that if you don't cancel the orders dc can't do anything about it, right? Like, they cannot send us new product moving forward, but, like, we have certain contracts in place, and if you don't cancel the order, we still get our cut. And I wonder if that's what the motivation is, then, with that context. Maybe. It really raises the question, and we've brought this up, you know, four or five times over the last seven, eight months. What's happening at DC Comics with Time Warner? Just between... All the executive shakeups over the course of a year, from from senior from like senior management to you know a longtime staple and Dan DiDio half a year later to just delayed orders to this now, it, what the hell is happening in their corporate infrastructure? 
Yeah, I think that that's a question that we've come back to over and over again because DC has been acting erratically, maybe, in the sense that they're making a lot of moves that seem to be, you know, coming from nowhere. Um, and, you know, especially now, this is a move that has a lot of people who would have considered DC to be allies uh, now reconsidering that. I want to remind us, for the sake of conversation, that DC was actually the first of the major publishers, maybe even the first of any publisher, I don't, I don't remember exactly, to go digital day and date with uh, print way back in like 2010 or something like that. That's how they started the decade. And that was very, very, very controversial. Right. And as it turns out, everyone does that now. True. So, have just throwing we, that out there. Have we considered that an evil wizard named Bobbity is possessed DC, making it Majin DC? <laughs> <laughs> it's not unheard of. Does any ancient wizard, it's Alan Moore. <laughs> That's true. He has revenge. a vendetta. This is his revenge story. That's incredible. Moore's I like revenge. that narrative. Uh, I do like that narrative. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think um, to to your point, Sean, and like, I mean, even like looking back as far as the change in the way that comics were distributed from newsstands to the direct market, like big changes in the comic book industry don't generally come voluntarily. You know, like it is like uh, there's something that happens where there's either a new development in, you know, um, distribution or technology or something that forces a change and everybody gets in line because it's a new status quo, you know? And like, I think you think back in 2010 and how controversial the idea of going day and date with digital is, you think about that in 2020, if comics weren't day and date in digital, that would be fucking ridiculous. You know, like, we, we'd be like, what the fuck? Why? Like, that's why no one buys them, right? And granted, it's only 10% of the market, so obviously the fears were unfounded that it was going to be that disruptive and yada, yada, yada. So, like, looking at this, it might be a similar situation that we look back on in 5, 10 years where it's like, man, like, remember when the comics industry almost collapsed during coronavirus and we saw Diamond, you know get bought or go under and this new status quo came out and now we buy comics on Tuesdays. It's not unheard of. Those changes have happened before. And just because we've done something the entire time that we've been paying attention to comics, like doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way. We've seen those kind of changes since we've been paying attention to your point, right? With digital, like that was a huge deal. Well, uh, the industry hasn't yet embraced the new way of doing business as no other publisher has come forward to try to get on board with UCS or Lunar for that matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes sense, dude. Like, I feel like that's a PR nightmare right now. Like you're going to look like, like we called out DC last week for, it's like the timing's poor. It feels opportunistic. And I feel like anyone else rushing to do that right now is going to look like a bad guy. I wonder. I wonder how long that'll last, though, because I'm. I'm sure at some point, it'll be a conversation between. Well, 
Because when, when, when are they saying? Like May 20-something? Uh, May 17th. Oh, May 17th to start distributing? Um, so, yeah, I wonder if if they're at some point, someone goes, well, it's like, well, May rent is is due and I'm over a week or two and uh, they're the only game in town and maybe it'll bring somebody and I can at least pay my one other employee that I have here or at the very least pay myself um, and just keep the lights on to whatever extent. Um, I wonder if that day even even comes. I'm really glad that you... Oh, go ahead, Kel. I was going to say it depends on what state. Sure. Know. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, because if you're in Georgia and you're a comic book shop and everything's opening up, and uh, you gotta, you gotta go with what you know, what uh, what what's gonna which happen. Which way the wind blows? Right. So, yeah. yeah. Which way the wind blows? And I mean, to be fair, like not every state's situation is the same either, right? So, like, there are always going to be like different. You know, like you think about like how proactive California was at flattening the curve. Like, there's a chance that they might be op- able to open up earlier than some other states. So, like, it is going to depend a lot on what the next few months look like, too. Yeah. Well, Marco brought up the the idea that uh, Diamond is looking to start shipping books again May seventeenth. That's when they're hoping to be able to send books out to the stores that can receive them and sell them. So if that's the case, right, at this moment in time, that's less than a month away. Uh, And from last week when we, you know, broke the news about DC uh, and what their plan was, it was just over a month away from, from when they announced, from when they made the announcement. It was just over a month away. If this was a temporary idea on the part of DC, wouldn't you say that this was jumping the gun? If they only wanted to get out one month's worth of books. Yeah, absolutely. That would right? be a bizarre relationship to be like, yeah, we're just going to do this for one month, right? We're in agreement with that. It's monetarily beneficial to both of us. Hmm. For one month yeah. yeah like the amount of like ships you have to like we've talked about before right like uh, companies like marvel and dc are owned by big companies and big companies are big ships that take a long time to turn and the idea that they like m- put in all this effort to set up a distri- distribution channel for one month so that everybody can get daphne burn number four <laughs> is crazy yeah like there's no way they're looking at this as a long-term solution they're looking at this as their opportunity to create a better uh, a, a business model that is better for them, where they have more control over the pipeline, so that if something like this happens again, that they're not at the uh, you know uh, mercy of Diamond and their ability to operate because they have stake in the partnership that they've created with these you know these companies. Like yeah, and they they're changing the day that they're distributing. You know, like we we talked about uh, last week, and I think Sean said that it sounded like. They were talking about that as a temporary solution, and I want to say it was Marco who was like, yeah, but like, why would they go back then? You know, like if you can get to a point where you're putting out all your product on the same day, that's easier for you. That's less logistics, you know, um, that you have to like wrangle. It's one day. It's one thing. It's, oh, it's everywhere. It's here. This is the most ignorant thing I've ever heard in my entire life, Pete. DC Comics is being responsible by doing this because they've seen across the planet protests opening up outside of their offices and outside of LCSs 
of people chanting and violating social distancing guidelines saying, we want Daphne Byrne. We want Daphne Byrne. Liberate comics. Yeah. So obviously they're like, you know what? We have to be responsible here. We can't let people go out jeopardizing their lives for Daphne Byrne. We have to do something about this. And that they we did. Gotta, we gotta start publishing some Swamp books. We gotta kill Marco. Time to put out an issue of Swamp Thing. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> That's a great way to kill Marco. That's an excellent way to kill Marco. Yeah, so... I, I, I don't want to get into... Like, I, I, I had the initial idea to read a lot more of what retailers are saying in light of this new change because last week it was really fresh and we only had, you know, a few retailers who had spoken out. Now there's a lot more. We've heard from so many different people. And I don't... I made a decision that we're not going to do that because most of them, their argument equates to either this is good for the industry or this is not good for the industry. And, you know, you can imagine what the reasons are on that front uh, or on on either side of the argument. Um, one of the, the... The only one that I thought was really interesting was um, William Shanes. Now, William Shanes has an interesting history in comics. He... Uh, he founded Pacific Comics as a teenager, uh, and that store ended up actually becoming a chain comic book store, um, and then was a publisher and a distributor himself, and then that distribution company got bought by Diamond. So he's you know he's he's been around the block and he's seen a lot of things and whatnot, um. He was also actually the VP of purchasing at Diamond as well. So, again, been around the block. Now, um, he works with uh, comic book specialty retailers, CBSR. And uh, this is what he had to say. First off, historically, DC Comics has been the much more friendly publisher to comic book specialty retailers versus Marvel Comics. From the early years of co-op advertising, a large dedicated staff led by publisher Paul Levitz, who championed the CBSR, along with Bob Wayne. Paul and Bob were our wartime consigliaries, as they would quickly come up with well-thought-out plans of action when hurricanes, tornadoes, and other disasters took its toll on the selected areas of the U.S. or other parts of the world, which had devastating effects on CBSR. When Paul stepped down as publisher of DC Comics and the news broke that DC Comics would be moving their offices from New York City to Burbank, California, things were a-changing. At the same time, Warner Brothers promoted Dan Didio and Jim Lee as co-publishers, which was a huge jump in overall responsibilities for both of them. Somewhere along the timeline, DC Comics detached their new monthly solicitations from the Diamond Comic Distributor's previews catalog. A huge mistake from my perspective, and really didn't come up with a well-thought-out, compelling long-term editorial vision, as the majority of their new, quote, breakout releases started with a bang, but quickly fizzled out as they failed to gain consumer interest. I found Jim Lee to be an extremely supportive 
of a wide range of charities related to the comic book industry, including the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, the Hero Hero Initiative, tons of donated piece of, pieces of artwork for other charity drives as well, including the truly inspirational 60 Drawings in 60 Days, with all proceeds going to 60 specific comic book specialty retailers, as did Rob Liefeld, Jim's example, and now a true movement by many creators and are all are all donation pieces of artwork. Sorry, that was weird. With proceeds going to CBSR. Their efforts are examples for the rest of us to come up with creative ways to lend assistance to CBSR. Jim earns my utmost respect for his continued efforts in that regard. But now, with this new change in distribution announcement, much, if not all, that DC Comics has done to right the past is about to be destroyed. While I do not have any concerns, issues, or negative thoughts toward Midtown Comics and DCBS, both of which run legit large-scale operations, DC's distribution rollout plan using these two companies appears to be a rush to fix the situation without fully understanding the ramifications. The unbelievably short window for CBSR to sign up for a new account by 2,000 plus CBSR's ridiculous terms, discounts, and increased freight on a per unit basis, the apparent lack of thought into how international CBSR can gain access to the limited number of releases, the standardized Wednesday release now being first come first serve, especially when you consider state by state close for business, except for essential business, except for Amazon and a few others. I just want to read one last paragraph. It all adds up to a disaster waiting to take place right in front of our eyes. It can easily be avoided by taking a 7 to 14 day cooling off period and really analyzing all the pros and cons and what the ramifications are. There are a number of seasoned professionals available to consult with, both those currently still in the industry as well as those of us Grey Panthers who are somewhat retired. I can only speak for me, and by no means as am, am I more important than anyone else, but I do have close to 50 years worth of experience in the comic industry. And I would have thought someone at DC might have reached out to get a fresh perspective and asked for both honest thoughts and feedback, as well as listen to possible modifications or alternative options, of which I have several in mind. Now, the reason why I read that is because that is the most moderate perspective on this entire thing that I've seen so far. In that, he's saying, hey, why do we have to move right this minute? Do we really not have two weeks to sit and talk about this before we do something this drastic? Why is this happening? You're losing so much goodwill by doing this. And this is a guy who, like he said, he's a gray panther, right? Why do this? Why not sit and wait and think and talk about a better solution? Let's ask our Grey Panther. What do you think, Kale? <laughs> well, I agree with him. I, that's what I said. I, the timing's bad. There you have it. It makes me feel like they're doing this this way because this is what DC wants. They want to get away from the Monopoly. They want to get away from Diamond or at least have there be more options. And this is an opportunity to create more beneficial order for them out of the chaos, the chaos of this situation. Yeah, definitely. They have that, that's vision. my read on it too. Anyway, I'm sorry. What was that? Phil? They have a vision. 
They do. They do have a vision. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's I, – I think you're spot on, Sean. Like, I just – I don't see how there's another angle to even look at it from. You know, that they're trying to take this this disruption of the market as an opportunity to change the game and tip the scales in their favor, you know? And – um. You know, I, I think I agree with what Marco's saying on some level where I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. I think it's the timing of their decision and the fact that they, to to this the point that's being made here, right, that they're not willing to wait two weeks and talk to their partners and, you know, other industry leaders and, like, really think about what the long-term ramifications of this are. It seems like they're, they're barreling ahead and this is what they're doing and, you know, you can get in line or... Or don't. No. Or, or or to that point, even like with the larger publishers having a discussion with Diamond to fix the the pain points and and address the issues that supposedly plagues them without having to necessarily be able to go like, hey, well, you know, fuck you guys. Like this is also a thing we're doing. I agree. I think this more than any other time would be the time to sit and have a conversation about, hey, you know. We need to. F- Sorry, of course. A, a, Zoom, a Zoom meeting. Zoom meeting. Oh, of, course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, yes. Sit uh, down really far away from each other. <laughs> because obviously there are issues. I feel like what we just what we've just discussed here uh, in this part of the show is two companies who have beef. I I I feel like DC has an axe to grind. I feel like they're not really happy with Diamond in general, and they sought out the only other two groups within comics that have the ability to do what Diamond does. And if this is in an interim basis, I feel like comics don't work in the short term. You know, comics don't work in a short term of a couple of months, you know. Uh, comics are, are a much longer game than that. And so either DC just doesn't believe that Diamond is going to be publishing comics come May and they didn't want to wait any longer or they just want to do something different. This is the time. This is the time to call Jerry Springer to mitigate or to, <laughs> uh, to mediate conflicts between Diamond and DC through a Zoom meeting. Now is the time. uh what i was gonna say was i think um i don't know like i i guess there's there's also the argument to be made that they might have knowledge that we don't right because there is that rumor about there being publishers that are interested in purchasing um diamond and everything like that and like dc might feel uncertain about the future of diamond's ability to actually deliver for them and are trying to get ahead of it as well um which there, there's there, there's like I, I guess I can understand that, but I think there's too many other elements that line up with what we're talking about for it to be um, a, a wholly defensive move. DC has relationships with those publishers. One of the primary ones was Penguin, and DC has worked with them. I don't feel like I don't feel like it would make more sense to work with Midtown Comics than whoever eventually usurped Diamond. Well, I, I think I think to Pete's point, or and, and maybe I'm misunderstanding Pete, but like, were you saying that maybe because they do have a little bit more information than we do, 
um, by setting this up, they're potentially mitigating the the lack of what Diamond will be, will be able to actually distribute and potentially print out. And, and they, they're, they're trying to get ahead of what potentially will be the fall, the inevitable fall of Diamond due to the situation. Yeah, that is that is what I'm saying. Like, Because to your point, if, if they're up and running again in a month or whatever, then I think it's clear as day, right, that DC is is just trying to set up their own game and and make their own rules and you know set it up so that it favors them as best they can right as any publisher would um i think the the wrinkle there that is interesting is like if they know that there's a sale or a liquidation or something that could disrupt the flow and make it so that like diamond can't go back to business as quickly as they want to or as they're saying that they will um that might that might be something that we're just not aware of yet in the same way that there's new information this week that we weren't avail- uh, privy to last week. Other um, publishers would know that. I mean, to your point, though, like, DC has those relationships at Penguin as well. So, like... I, it's not like Marvel does it. That's it. Yeah, fair enough. I don't work with Marvel. Meh, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> You were about yeah, to Vulture say publishing Marco. works with Marvel, right? That's right. Marco, you were gonna say a thing. Um, uh, nah, we thought it. Well, it, it basically, it was just like yes, that they do have the relationships, but um, maybe DC was the only one to like act on the information and to to the point of uh, I forgot his name. You just read but, like jump the gun. Oh. Uh, Bill Shanes. Yeah, uh, and and maybe you know, maybe what Marvel and the rest of the publishers are doing is waiting for that shoe to drop, but uh, DC was just the bug trying not to get squished. That strikes me as like super conspiracy theory. Uh, no, no, re- the like- conspiracy theory is the the reason that DC broke out is because. <sighs> 5G. Diamonds are the only thing that can contain 5G radiation, right? <laughs> so by breaking out, they're able to spread that. Or you're making a lot of sense. They're trying now. to track down the Catwoman who's obsessed with diamonds. Oh. Mm-hmm. Find no. the diamonds and you'll find the Catwoman, see? <laughs> well, right. in any event, this continues to be a really, really compelling story uh and i i i gotta say it feels like we're in brand new territory because officially diamond is no longer the only publisher of comics the only uh in the direct market at least uh dc has now conscripted midtown and dcbs and that is what's happening now and i think the most interesting question going forward is going to be, will other publishers decide to join this initiative? Uh, it's really hard for me to imagine that they will. But then again, I probably wouldn't have said DC would do this either. So, Yeah, I think to, to that point, Sean, it really depends on like what the next couple of weeks look like. And like, you know, is this new distribution platform something that people will be forced to adopt? Because you need because we need to figure out the new way forward and diamonds not able 
Like, if that's the case, yeah, like, they will. Um, if not, that's a much more interesting question. Because then we're going to have, like, a good old-fashioned, uh, you know, competition. Like, we'll have two legitimate competing services that, you know, um, could force Diamond to make some of the changes that we've been wanting to see. But do you know who always finds a way? It's Superman. Life. Oh, oh. life. I was what I was going to say, too. Yeah. No? I had a much better transition. Ah, All right, go for it. Go for it, Sean. I don't believe in Phil. I, I didn't I didn't want to transition now, but uh, oh sorry. Well, oh no. <laughs> yeah. That's why uh, that's why I host. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a Phil episode though, so that's true. Uh what I was going to say is that I feel like that timeline is really dark for retailers. Uh, just because they seem to be very uncomfortable with the idea of being in bed with who they seem to consider to be competitors, that being Midtown and DCBS. So, uh, But in these dark times, I think we all wish that there was a hero. We all wish that we had a hero who could uplift us, who could be that beacon of hope, and who could inspire us to be better than we are being right now. And in times like these, you need a Superman. Shrek. Oh, there was some lag. I was going <laughs> to. You ruined it, Kale, but I'm, that was really good, Sean. Thanks. I will enter the call. <laughs> Marco, Marco the <Man>. mystical. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to do something that I never thought I would do. But desperate times call for desperate measures. I'm turning over the floor to a man that I don't necessarily understand. A man that I don't necessarily agree with. But maybe, just maybe, a man who we need right now. Phil, the floor is yours. That's me. I hope you guys are ready to go up, up. And away! Definitely Sean ready for the away part, but I'm ready for you to sell me on the up and the up. <laughs> Sean, please take it back. I hate it. Please, please take it back. No, I never realized how much I needed you until right now. Guys, I you swear wanted I'm... change, you got change in the form of Phil. <laughs> I swear I'm on the up and up. So today we're going to Go keep... away. What about the away? <laughs> I'm taking it away now. Uh, just like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, so today we're going to do a character... <laughs> the song is given away. That's the opposite of... What... I'm sorry. Go ahead. The floor is mine, not yours. So today we're going to talk about the original superhero, and it's our, I believe, our fourth in a series of uh, kind of character overviews. We did one on the X-Men. We did one on uh, Batman. We did one on Wonder Woman. Oh, we did one on the X-Men, so it's our fifth. Uh, so finally, in these desperate Spider-Man. times... We did Spider-Man, too. Wow, we did a lot. Okay. so You so, <laughs> really prepared for this. Yeah, I did. So, uh, today we're going to talk about <laughs> Superman, the original hero. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but he uh, was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster in 38. He was originally a super villain two years earlier, but no one bought that comic. It's a good thing they turned him into hero because he became a, a global sensation. When you guys think of Superman, what's the first word that comes to mind? Genuinely. Truth. Phil Casey. <laughs> yeah, hero, honestly. Justice. 
America. The way. <laughs> Kelly, got Party anything? City. Party City? Uh, yeah. You never had a Superman-themed birthday? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Huh. I have had a Superman-themed birthday. There you birthday, go. Actually. <laughs> Uh yeah, hero. Gotta be hero. If he's a symbol yeah. of truth and justice, the American way, he's a hero. I think that's the antithesis of what uh one of the books we read about was about the Ku Klux Klan, which is a symbol of hate. Uh one of the books we read this for this episode is Superman Smashes the Clan, which is based on a real life incident um where a journalist named Stenson Kennedy uh went to the creators of yeah, went to the creators of the Adventures of Superman radio drama series who were desperate for plots with uh, real-life secrets about the Ku Klux Klan. So uh, we read a book this week by... Gene uh, 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 Luen Yang. Gene Yang. Yang? Did, want to try that Chang? again? <laughs> and be real careful while you're saying it. Gene Luen <laughs> Yang. I'm doing my best kill here. Uh, where they where they do three issues on just how Superman smashed a clan in that series. Uh, I think this book did a really good job of kind of demonstrating just what Superman represents in America, which is uh, he's basically the ultimate immigrant, which comes through through like I think the point of view characters of this story. Uh, I had never read this before. What do you guys think? I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I think I mentioned in our group chat, I think the, maybe just you felt, but like the, the first few pages, um, after like the opening where we see Superman got me, uh, emotionally upset just cause I, it felt it hit on a number of beats that I think, um, I feel like I've experienced in my life. And so I, it immediately made me connect. And I think that's one of the strengths of Superman is his ability to, to allow you to connect to the character. Um, it wasn't necessarily Superman himself, but the it, it did give me that emotional connection to the actual uh, story. Uh, I I very much enjoyed it. Um, and I, I'm really glad that we read this. I bought the issues, but I wasn't enthused about reading them. So this gave me an opportunity opportunity to do that and i think that it really it adds color first of all it's a gorgeous book um mm. guri guri hero yeah guru hero something like that i think guri hero is probably right um he did a brilliant job bringing these characters to life i love the style that he that he uh, uses i've never seen superman drawn this way and it's brilliant but that aside, um, the immigrant element of Superman's history isn't something that I feel is all that prominent a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Him being white, white skin, uh, him being, you know, the son of a farmer and all that stuff, it, it, it's something that disconnects him from someone like me because you know he doesn't look like me and he look not only does he not look like me he looks like the kind of person that i would not even want to like that i would be afraid or reluctant 
to engage with because of I don't know what they think, you know, about people like me. So um, or people with my skin tone, not people like me. They don't know me. But um, this story bridged the gap that has always existed for me in terms of relating to Superman as a character, because I was able to see through Roberta's eyes um, how her and Superman were related. And then, of course, because I related to Roberta with no problem at all, and so many of the things that she went through and that her family went through, specifically, like Tommy, big time, um, I, I associate with myself or experiences that I've really had. To see Superman go through those same things allowed me to feel closer to him than I have in my 30 years on or 29, excuse me, I don't want to uh, overage myself, um, in the 29 years that I've been on this earth. I really liked, and, yeah. I really liked how they expressed how Superman and this blends in with people. So in the story, you know, he can jump higher than a, you know, leap taller than the uh, build, biggest building. Uh, he can run really fast, but at, at the end of the day, he still connects with people uh, and they can still connect with him. But Roberta points out that he can do more and he's hiding it because he's hiding who he truly is because he doesn't want to scare people. And I think that really was a good way to uh, emphasize how even though he does look like people, he isn't really like everyone else. Yeah, for sure. But I guess like there was so much more depth to that metaphor that I don't even want to lose. Yeah. Because just like Roberta changing her name, yeah. right? That's sure. that's being done in an effort for her family to not scare people, to make her more palatable. That's something that is so common to immigrants or to people of color in general who live in America. Where how many, I mean, even if you forget about what we consider to be minorities now, how many you know, Jewish people or how many even even like Polish people or Italian people, whatever, changed their name when they got here. Or once my they, family did. There you go. Once they realized, oh man, we can't get work with this name or people hate us because of this name, we change it, you know? And that was so huge to see that juxtaposed with Superman, the only reason why he wasn't doing everything we know him to do now, the transition between, you know, what I guess like Golden Age Superman. To Silver Age. This would be considered to be Golden Age, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To Silver Age, the only reason why that transition took place is because he was able to accept himself. And what allowed him to accept himself was in large part, this relationship he builds with his kid. Dude, I a, loved it. What a fleshed out character for uh, a completely new character, too. Yeah. I, I, that, that's why I really like this story, because to me, the, the Superman stories that I always connect with the most are the ones that are like not really about um, super heroics as much as they are just about what Superman means to people and what people like Superman... Um, you know, in in this case, like Roberta, uh, like can do right, like what, like what good, what goodness can achieve, right? Because at the end of the day, like there's not that much 
in this like the the characters that he's fighting are not super heroic right like when he has to use his powers it's mostly just to like save people from a bomb or a natural disaster like it's a it's a lot closer to the ground and i think the fact that it's really focused on um th- that that interior struggle and everything it's like it, it gives it so much more meat you know, and those are always the the stories that I really seem to gravitate towards with Superman. Like how in this, so I, I think that's always linked with Superman in an abstract is kind of like the Frederick Nietzsche idea of like the Ubermensch, which is which was of course like appropriated by Nazis to mean like oh yeah the superior people like be, because they can they should uh, they have the power so they should flex that power and and be the powerful and at the end of the issue. Uh, the the clansmen that Superman is fighting is like yeah I see you're the superior race all this stuff, but Superman who was created by two Jewish kids in New York and Cleveland, that's not what that character is about. That character uses his power for something else, not to be a king, but to be the ultimate helper, basically, to be a hero. Uh, and I don't think that metaphor is lost here at all. I think having Superman fight the Ku Klux Klan really, I think, exemplifies everything that the character is about. And we're doing this episode because a lot of people have lost, are, are feeling a lot of despair uh, over what the coronavirus has done. But the thing is, over the last three years, we've seen a real creeping up of white supremacy and, and a lot of just bigotry. And Superman picking up two idiots bigots and beg and bedsheets i think is a real symbol that we need right now yeah i i totally agree with that and you know again this book goes a long way with introducing or or bridging that gap for superman with audiences that may not have been able to connect with him in the past and Superman as an American icon, one of the challenges that I think that that character has had to deal with is the fact that he is an American icon. Um, you know, just just to kind of paint that picture a little bit, Superman is a global character, but someone like Captain America, for example, that couldn't be the name of the movie globally. That's why they added the first Avenger tag. So that globally, it could just be called the first Avenger. They couldn't call it Captain America everywhere. Um, so Superman, for, for Superman to be this force of good and truth, justice, and the American way, that has connotations with some people that are not positive. Right. The, the American way part of it. Right. And I, I honestly attribute that. We've talked a, a lot in, in the past about Superman kind of falling out of favor within within mainstream like pop culture, you know, this conversation about comic book movies, Superman's been left out of that. And I think that a big reason for that is that it's that fact. Um and so that's a, that's a major reason why I love this book. Uh and it's something that I I would love to hear your guys thoughts about you know, as this conversation goes forward. Superman's place in global pop culture. I think I think part of that's exemplified in another book we read this week, which was Superman: Peace on Earth, which was by uh, Paul Dini and uh, art done by Alex Ross. 
uh, it's a book about Superman trying to take on the conflict of, of world hunger. Uh, there's a lot of people who who you know maybe don't read Superman or watch Superman media much, but a question that always comes up is why doesn't Superman solve the world's problems? He has the means, he has the resources, and Superman smashes the clan certainly addresses an aspect of that with, with that character's kind of moral uh, values, but Peace on Earth really tackles the idea of him trying to solve the world's problems, and to what Sean just said that book really paints him as an America first emblem and how the rest of the world may react to him. Uh, what- yeah. I, I really like that angle of the character because I think it, there's a lot of time where like um, even in like doomsday clock where like Superman is looked at, it's like, Oh, he's like a citizen of the world and everybody identifies that he's a good guy. And I liked kind of grappling with that realistic problem that Sean established, I guess, of like him being connected to, you know, um, these quote unquote American ideals that, you know, I think a lot of us would argue our country often doesn't live up to and has historically not lived up to. Well, and I think, I think that's what makes, uh, Superman smashes the clan. So interesting and, and well thought out is that it's a period piece. Yeah. Whereas it's very specifically set in, the 30s and 40s uh whereas uh peace on earth and the other book we read uh, superman for all seasons you can kind of argue are are uh, a bit more malleable in their time frame sure yeah the the american way piece um it's interesting because i think for that reason was one of the reasons why i wouldn't read Superman because it was such a American centric book and as much as I was born here and live here and my family has lived here and immigrated here it's the the idea was also that potentially it was a way to and, and, and not to mean this like pejoratively but to introduce Americanism into our own culture um and i think that's Mm. a very hard balance Mm. and one that i really appreciate the book balances um and one of my actual critiques of it um i know we're not critiquing it but um uh uh, the the clan yeah um because there are moments where like the father tries to get her get the wife to Americanize and speak in English. And um, that th- those were the moments that got me upset. Um, uh, just, just like, just generally, because I, I know for, for me, um, for, for Mariana too, it's like, we make the effort to speak in Spanish. We make the effort to um, never dissuade that. And, uh, I, I like the way that it resolves in the end where like um it becomes like she becomes the LL what was it Lin Lin Shan Lee um that that, that, that was yeah, a great I moment um but there were there were certain aspects of it where like I I found myself sort of uh at odds with the book um the way that Tommy integrates and how easy it is for him but at the same time, he probably has to give up a lot of his what he would identify as his, uh, 
I guess, Chinese-ness, if that makes any sense, if that's a word. But, um, like... Uh, I guess his, so, so there, there, his, like, family's culture. Not even that, um, but, like, owning his own identity. Like, they, they start making the jokes, and he, like, takes them and brushes them off. And, and those are approaches to integration, but... Um, I don't know. It, it, it's just not the way that maybe I would approach or was raised to approach it. And one of the reasons why Superman, yes, is an emblematic symbol of American culture, but is also a reminder that American culture is pervasive and potentially harming. I, I think a lot of that comes to a head, too, when Superman's dangling the Klansmen uh, in the sky. And, and he says to Superman that he's been brainwashed by corrupt newspapers and textbooks and that the Lees aren't, quote, unquote your own because he shares no blood he shares no history and there's nothing that ties the bonds of them together to which superman says uh the lees are his friends uh the people at the daily planet and the unity house and the police department uh and they're all bound together by ideas of a better future uh what do you think of that marco i I agree with that. I, I think that you can you can definitely make that that um that argument, and it, it definitely fits. And I, I definitely agreed with it when reading it. But I think the to what I I sort of felt the what happened in Peace on Earth sort of spoke more to that, where there was that one guerrilla guy who um was like, hey, you know, you can leave the stuff like we'll distribute it. Where there are yeah. there are certain certain things where um yes, if you have the means. To do so but then there's also the lack of understanding where it's like well we can do it ourselves like or allow us the chance or give us provide us the means versus providing us provide us the means versus providing us the hands and i think that's something that's been pervasive in latin america a lot um and uh so that that was a that specifically was a book where i was like yes that is the american way of like charity but a potential lack of understanding that maybe the the charity is needed but not necessarily wanted and and that's obviously a conflict um i don't know those are just like some like the feelings that i had had reading reading some of these were you satisfied in that way with where peace on earth takes that lesson yes uh that yes uh, I definitely definitely was, but it, I think it spoke to, um, uh, like a lack of foresight, where it's like or lack of thought behind something, where you kind of like sit down, think about it before you you do it, versus like this is the noble way to do something. Uh, on Superman's part, yes, yeah, um, that was really impactful. I I think I think that book, Peace on Earth, really encapsulates um the dogma of Superman which is you mentioned like the dictator who was like ah oh, superman we'll we'll pass out the food don't worry and like very clearly that's not how that's going to happen because there's a lot of places on the planet that um are in real bad ways obviously but i i think the overall message of of teaching people how to fish so that they can fish for themselves to the best of their ability obviously i think that's really what superman's overall core essence is which is uh being a, a symbol that will you know ideally demonstrate how to be a better person well and i think i think that peace on earth does a really good job of conveying that because the ultimate 
result of Superman's actions are, you know, he says, like, for one day he provides aid to some people that were hungry, but a lot more go hungry, right? And that that wasn't the point as much as it was to hopefully inspire other people to follow his example of, of thinking about the, the problem at all, right? And not thinking about um, – because he goes and talks – to, to Congress, right? And, like, they say that they're doing all that they can, which is obviously not true because of how much waste there is in, in America, right, of, of crucial resources like food. And I think the idea that, like, Superman's actions as one man weren't enough to solve the problem, but that, you know, um, that he could be a person to set an example for trying is something that... You know, I think you talk about a lot when you talk about what you connect about with Superman, which is that, um, you know, I think, like, the values that are his, I think, attributing them to America is, like, pretty disingenuous. You know, it's more it's more Superman's values that I wish America lived up to, yeah. you know, it's a, um, rather than the other way around. It's like the idealized America. Yeah. Of, like, you know, someone who uses the amount of power that they have um, to do their best to help others, even if, you know, um, that's not always uh, fruitful, I guess. I and, and I guess to weave in a third title here. So the other book we read was uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's uh, Superman for All Season, which I, uh, I think is the book that, A, tries to make him the most, I think is the, of the three we read, this is the one that tries to make him the most relatable. Because this is the one that focuses more on uh, on Superman the person, but also I think this is the one that most Americanizes like the the ideas of Superman. Because I think Tim Sale deliberately imitates kind of like a Norman Rockwell style of art here. Yeah, it's, it's very idealized. Uh, did that book help you connect to Superman the character? For me, it very much did. Um, I think that that was a great portrayal of of his tenacity um you know like, like he doesn't he, he doesn't give up and i know that that's something that phil has said you know a, a lot where it's like about how about getting back up and, and giving it the try and, and and all that and i think that that really came through and i very much enjoyed it for that i think um this is an, a, a good one for me too because again like I, I like that this very much looks inward and and tries to um, break the you know break down the myth of um, Superman as like a perfect being right because like um, I think it's Lana says in the the la- the the last issue that she narrates um, that you know he has the weight of the world on his shoulders and that like he's struggling to to feel like he, if he's capable of living up to that right and the idea that there is um hum- so much humanity to superman that the real superman is is clark kent and it's that he's a good altruistic person and that's what makes him superman you know more so than his power because he could be a king or a warlord or whatever but he's not he's a hero um and i think i love that this series is all from the perspective of other people and it's all from people who love him um well not all i guess right because there's lex as well but um it's all people who have a very very uh strong relationship to superman and i i think that that really helps 
characterize him in an interesting way because it it can tell you a lot about I think like what what you're kind of supposed to perceive Superman as by not having him narrate the story, right? And having, you know, his father give his impression of him, his childhood best friend, his greatest rival, you know? Um, I think that's a really powerful tool, and it's used really well in this series. I think this is the first book that I've ever read Lana Lang in, and um, for that I was immensely grateful because I read that one first, and she gets introduced in some of the other series. Um, but... Uh, yo, she's the best. Um, (laughs) forget Lois Lane, yo, Lana Lang, all the way. (laughs) My man, do I have a 2000s uh teen soap opera for you? (laughs) Small, it's called Smallville. (laughs) Get out, a small, it's small. Um, wow. Uh, any other thoughts on on for all seasons, real quick? Uh, like on you connecting the Superman as a character? Yeah, um, that was also the first one I read, and you know, I, I I didn't come into this with no Superman knowledge. I came into this with like a pretty good knowledge on Superman, I would say, and having consumed a fair amount of stories involving the character. I hadn't read this particular one, but uh, I didn't feel lost with with Superman. Um, so I don't feel like I really needed help connecting to him. Yeah. At least not in the ways that For All Seasons is trying to get you to. I think Smashes the Clan helped me more in the elements that that book is trying to talk about. Um, For All Seasons was definitely a very good book. I think a lot of what Jeff Lowell was trying to do uh, are things that other books would go on to do as well. I don't know if those ideas or his way of presenting them was unique at the time, but definitely I've seen these things echoed in other places. Well, we've read other Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale books, obviously. We read Spider-Man Blue, uh, and what I think he... No, 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 I mean, like, other Superman stories. I know, I know, but uh, my point is, I think what he tries to do in general is take the the core elements of a character and present them in a cozy, nostalgic kind of way, where it's like, I feel like I've read this before, but in a a way of, like, rewatching a movie. Um... My other thought is so Superman obviously uh, from from an America standpoint, maybe even from a global standpoint, is arguably the most recognizable piece of pop culture there is next to like Mickey Mouse. Um, in in after reading these three books, uh, has it kind of changed your perception of the character based on your previous understanding of who Superman is or or was? Not for me. I think it was just more like uh, more examples to feed into that and my thoughts about the character, you know, Um, because I hadn't I hadn't read any of these books before. And I think to Sean's point, I've read other books that have definitely explored these topics and and some of these themes. So, like, you know, I I get what I'm supposed to get out of Superman. So it's I don't think it necessarily changed my relationship to the character, but I'd like to think that it deepened it a little bit because I, I really enjoyed all of these books quite a bit. And um, 
I uh, I, I definitely had a few moments when I was reading each of them where like I, I got I welled up, you know, and got like very I, I got the, to the peak that I think that they were shooting for. Um, and I think it's because like a really, really good Superman comic um, I, it hits me like right where I live and right where I like to think, you know, about the capabilities of people. You know, to think that we could all like try to be a little bit better and, you know, um, kinder. And uh, I think when in the right hands, it's like he's a, a obviously a very powerful tool. Yeah, I, I, I don't know enough about Superman. So this continues to just enhance my knowledge and continues to like give me like a wider breadth of examples of what he can be and maybe start to, to mold that larger image as to like what he is in my mind. Um, so yeah, great, great books for that. So what other, what other Superman's been around for, for, you know, 90 years at this point, uh, what other media have you guys consumed of the character that kind of informed you about him? You know, he, there was, he's been in many movies, cartoons, other comics. Uh, what, what pieces of Superman media really stand out to you guys that, that you enjoy at least? The earliest one for me was definitely the cartoon. The which one? The the Bruce Tim one. Uh, yeah, the, I guess the animated series. It was the one that was in the same universe as Batman. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was definitely like a staple for me coming up. And uh, Superman is like the only superhero that my dad has any real familiarity with because he had a cousin that was like a huge Superman fan. So like, and I had a best friend growing up who was a big Superman person. So like that kind of was my intro and um and then yeah the 70s film and um yeah and then just like odd books here and there but mostly stuff that you've recommended and that we've you know consumed here because i like have historically been a marvel reader more so than a dc yeah for me almost exclusively what you recommended phil i think the only other thing was maybe some justice league cartoons the one with uh john stewart and then 2000 yeah yeah oh. that was also same bruce tim yeah verse all yeah. that stuff um i had maybe seen like an episode or two of the bruce tim one specifically the adventures and then um uh some of the newer movies and then um and then maybe like once or twice some of the the older uh the older superman series oh the george um, reeves adventures of superman show yeah, specifically because like my parents had had seen it, so they put it had they had had it on, or it was like a rerun that they were watching something like that. But um, uh, to that, I have little memory because they never really engrossed me. Uh, so more so, some of the more recent things that I've consumed. Oh, I also really love the super the Fleischer Superman. Oh shorts. sure, uh, those are excellent. Superman smashes. My grandmother turned me on to those. <laughs> Superman smashes the clan had that kind of look. Uh, the Fleischer cartoon Superman look. That that was why I immediately connected to the art style. Like, I, obviously, it was great, like in and of itself. But like, I love that design. I used to really love the Super Friends. Wait, that really? Was, oh yeah. hell yeah! <laughs> that and the Superman animated series. I'd, I'd say Super Friends probably before anything was the first time I saw Superman. Um, and then uh. The, the death and return of Superman video game. Nice. I really, really loved Superman 64. I really did not love, <laughs> but <laughs> definitely uh, comes to mind. 
Yeah, for different reasons. <laughs> but those are the those are probably the things that really like and the the seventies movie, um, movies I should say. My mom really loved <laughs> Superman two, the one with Zod. Yeah, that's a great movie. The cellophane S. <laughs> yeah, so I used to I've seen that movie like a ton of times, and those things more than even the comics created my view of Superman because I didn't read I didn't see Superman in a comic book until uh Final Crisis okay or like Jeff Johns his run I I picked up an an odd issue of that randomly so that was the first time I ever saw Superman in a comic book um and it's it's weird because I didn't I I didn't have like I didn't connect with the character, I, and I, I wish I understood why, but I didn't. He didn't resonate with me. I didn't like care about Superman. Uh, I always liked it when he would appear in a book, because it meant that stuff was about to get real, um, because of how powerful he is and how judgmental he is. That was how I always looked at him. Do do you still feel like he's judgmental after reading like uh, the three books we read? Just out of curiosity, like or uh, even even in spite of that, like would you still describe him as like uh, 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 kind of a law and order figure like that? Um, uh, so probably not as much as Batman. And again, that that feeling of, of about Superman is one that I developed earlier on, you know, um, more so than like stuff that I've read more recently or in the last 10 years. But I do see Superman as a law and order person to a to a definitely to a degree. Yeah. And I think he uh, I want to go ahead. Sorry, I want to pick apart what you said, though. You said judgmental, specifically. Mm -hmm. And I didn't read that as law and order. I read that as Superman looking down on whoever. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely... Sort of. That was that was definitely the perspective that I had. Uh, Do you still, And you don't still feel that way? Or you no. Still, okay, yeah. But I don't I would think... Agree, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. I don't think that Batman is judgmental either. I but I do think that they feel comfortable being in the position of deciding who is right and who is wrong. And so if you consider that to be judgmental then there you go. Um I think judgmental has a different connotation than what I just said, but yeah. Um Another thing I want to talk about is Clark Kent. Um, famously, over the last 40 years, he's been portrayed kind of more and more as a as a kind of bumbling, or at the very least, meek and shy, mild-mannered, if you will. Um, a thing that always comes to mind when people talk about Superman is a quote from Kill Bill, uh, where uh, Bill has a quote about uh, Clark where he says, uh, Superman didn't become Superman, Superman was born Superman. Uh, when Superman wakes in the morning, he's Superman. His alter ego, Clark Kent, 
His outfit with the big S, that's the blanket he was wrapped in a baby when the Kents found him. Those are his clothes. What Kent wears, the glasses, the business suit, that's the costume. That's the costume where he has to blend in with us. Clark Kent is how Superman views us. And what are the characteristics of Clark Kent? He's weak. He's unsure of himself. He's a coward. Chris, uh, Clark Kent is Superman's critique on the whole human race. How do you guys feel about that? Do you think... One, that Clark Kent is a costume for Superman, and at the end of the day, he is just Superman, Kal-El, strange visitor from another planet. Or is is it more nuanced than that? Is Clark Kent Superman and Superman is Clark Kent? Who is Clark Kent to you? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's much more nuanced than that. I think that Superman, Superman is a way for... Clark Kent to do good in the world with very little impunity. And I mean that in that he can do good in the world without having to necessarily uh, like deal with police or deal with the the exterior factors that would otherwise prevent him from doing the kind of good that he wants to and is capable of doing. Um, I think that what the what Superman smashes a clan gets across really well is that he also just wants to be like a normal person. Um, and he has to, to some extent conform and that's obviously a give and take anywhere else. But, uh, in the United States, that's sometimes difficult and you have to be able to, uh, you have to be able to sort of, assimilate and superman i think is the assimilation whereas clark kent is what he what he at his core is um because you have to sometimes wear a costume or have a facade or do something to your exterior in order for you to do the good that you want to in the world as somebody who is maybe a person of color or uh someone who's not inherently from the the place that they're being raised in or have been brought to well, uh, to to that, I think one of the inner one of the the relationships in Superman Smashes the Clan that's not really a relationship um, is the one between Superman and the uh, what's the black cop's name the uh, the chief it's, inspector, it's inspector Henderson. Henderson yeah yeah Henderson uh, feels that he's only. He's only a cop when he has the badge. The badge is the thing that allows other people to know that he's worth respecting, that he has value, and things of that nature. And I feel like without... And and the implication is that without the badge, he's just another black guy. Without Superman's costume of Superman, right? Like... Without Superman's costume of Superman, he's Clark Kent. But that's not the part of him that's weird. The part of him that's weird is the things that he can do. So if he does the same things that he can do normally, but he does them without the costume of Superman, then he's an alien. And then he's a threat. The same way that Henderson is a threat if he doesn't have the badge on, but he acts the same way that he would normally act. The, the part that I find interesting in that, uh, beyond what I just said, because I do think that's fascinating, is that Henderson is a cop. And people trust cops almost inherently. 
Obviously now and certain groups of people, that's not quite true, but you get the point, especially back then. Superman is not a cop. Superman is a guy. Well, he's an he's an alien, right? But people, especially at this time, just they know him to be a guy who has powers. What is it inside of Superman that gives him the right to perform the functions of Superman without a badge? Right, and I think I, I think um Superman Smashes the Clan handled that in a way that I thought was really, really um, appropriate, you know, because uh, he has that conversation with the the strongman who he saves, right? And he says that the reason that he doesn't want to use his powers is because he's afraid that people will, like Sean said, like look at him as, as an alien, as an other, as something they need to be afraid of, as a threat. And the strong man says, well, oh, I used to have that same problem and I dressed up in a costume, right? Because a costume is a symbol that people can rally behind. And I think Superman is a symbol that people can rally behind because, you know, he you're right. He's not a cop, but he's, you know, he's Superman. And that means something. Clark Kent is just a guy, you know? But I, to answer your question, Phil... I do think that Superman underneath it all is is Clark Kent. I don't think that Clark Kent is the facade. You know, I think that Superman is an extension of who he is. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a tool for him to use to um, to Marco's point. I think to to blend in and also to be able to use his powers for good in a way that make him, um, you know, not not look like a threat, not look like a weapon, not look like somebody who you have to question. What do you think, Cal? Uh, I think I, I've always liked the analogy, and, and and Lana Lang says it in For All Seasons of Superman as a, a firefighter. And and you know Sean's question was, who gives Superman the right? What authority does he have? Well, what authority does a firefighter have to run into a burning building and save people? The costume. You know, uh, the job, yeah, right. The cool hat, the uniform, the dog, the, job. the dog, uh, the truck. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think, um, I think that quote very specifically from Kill Bill uh, <clears throat> is a quote by someone who wants power of some kind, and it's it's very much a. a a view of Superman from someone who wants that sort of ability. It feels like how Lex um, Luthor would characterize him. Exactly. And, and, and honestly, now that uh, in current comics, now that Superman's identity is canonically out into the world, I would be willing to bet that's exactly what has happened. <laughs> Does it bother you guys that Superman doesn't solve all the world's problems? Obviously, Peace on Earth addresses that topic, but still people will say that that's just a limitation of the medium that Superman, like, then what, right? Does it does it bother you that he isn't more proactive in, in remedying the evils of the world? I had a really hard time this time uh, with Peace on Earth. 
the out of out of the three books, uh, Smashes the Clan uh, is the only book that was new to me, and uh, For All Seasons, Peace on Earth, and you know several other Superman books were uh, were part of my foundational readings of comics. Like I've been reading Superman books since middle school. Um, but there was something this time very specifically about Peace on Earth that really, really bugged me. And I think it's very specifically because the time, because of the time we're in. Um, I, I, I think the, the fact that we're in the, the quarantine and there's so much going on very specifically right now, both with the president, with the UK, with, uh, just the entire world as well as the virus that made me go, why couldn't he do it? He's fucking Superman. And like this, this very specific time that really chapped my hide. I think for me, I've, I've never had a problem with that because I think right story constraints argument aside, um, that's not also it's not how the world works you know like there there is always another problem you know and and i think um in superman uh smashes the clan when he's talking to the grand scorpion like he says like you can take me out and a hundred men like me will spring up in my place and i think on some level that's true and that's like a a, a theme in a lot of superhero media is that like the fight is um, is arguably yeah, it's never ending and it's arguably futile because you're never going to end all of the problems in the world. You just can't. Um, but I think, and this is a point that Sean always makes, it's that the measurable difference is that he saves people's lives every day. And you can't look at all the things that he doesn't achieve. You have to look at all the things that he does achieve, and that that's enough. You know, like he's he is at the end of the day, he might be Superman, but he's still just one person and he can only do so much with his time, you know, and for every person that he saves, for every hungry mouth that he fed, there are 10 more, 100 more, 1000 more that he can't get to. And that's where everybody else is supposed to pick up. But to Phil's point, he could effectively not be a a news reporter, right? He could use that time to additionally save people, but doesn't in order to have a life, have a crush on Lois right, Lane, right, or keep appearances and whatnot. In the first issue, the entire reason Siegel and Schuster made him a reporter is so he could find out where problems are quickly and and you know deal with them, whether it was a corrupt politician or a cop or whatever. Is that now? You just gotta now? update Twitter. <laughs> but I love yeah, he's got to start the drudge report of DC <laughs> Comics. Um I like I like the jump of uh I th- I think the first issue of Action Comics for Superman uh appears he uh takes down a a, a, yeah, a wife exactly. beater. Yeah. And now it's like Oh, Superman, you got to end world hunger. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it's, right. It's like <laughs> become much bigger in scope. Uh, Sean, what do you think of this Clark Kent Superman conundrum? Yeah, I I feel like so I compare Superman's, you know, having a secret identity to every other hero. And I feel like because of the fact that he is an alien and doesn't have the same needs as others, there's no reason why he can't be Superman 
all the time. The the being Clark Kent element doesn't actually really benefit anybody in a material way, the same way that him being Superman does. And he, like, Peter Parker can't do the same things that he can do when he's Spider-Man. And if he chose to be Spider-Man all the time, there are problems with that. The regular Peter Parker has to eat food. He has to have a roof over his head. He has to, you know, keep appearances with, with, you know, people in his life and stuff like that. Superman really only needs his mother and his father. And he could live on the farm forever in anonymity and no one would know. He doesn't have to eat. He could and he just has the fortress be, of solitude. Yeah, he has the fortress of solitude. He could do that. Um, and I wonder what his reasoning would be as to why he doesn't. Because I think he could spend that time saving a lot more people if he just didn't have Clark Kent. Especially if you take uh, All-Star Superman into account. He's got a fucking uh, black hole monster that eats suns or some shit, and he can't feed everybody on the planet? No, fuck that. I think... Good, Marco. Sorry, to... uh, to a conversation we had had maybe like a week or two ago, it, it to me it sounds like, and to, to Sean's point, it sounds like Superman has an acceptable loss threshold. Oh my and god! <laughs> that was it. Yeah, I mean, you might be onto something. I, I, you might be onto something. I, I think that the purpose of of Clark Kent is to keep to because I mean that's who he is to him. He needs Clark, right? Kent. And like. Yeah, he needs Clark Kent. And I think that you you could argue, uh, to Sean's point, that, like, um, the greater good could be better served by him not using that time to have a personal life. But I think that, like, he he needs that for himself to feel to feel grounded, you know, and to, like, have a connection to people and to be a part of the world that he protects. I think um, Mark Wade explores that pretty well in Kingdom Come. When Superman does lose everything, he uh, loses the man part. Uh, throughout that book, uh, uh, that I, that would probably be a book club down the road. I have to imagine. Um, I can't believe it hasn't yeah. already been done. Uh, and my other question is: This is something Sean brought up earlier. Uh, what Superman means to the globe? Uh, that's something that manifests in a pop culture way. And 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 seven years ago, we had a movie called Man of Steel that was, at the very least, very divisive. Uh, and did not have maybe the impact that Warner Brothers wanted. What do you? But I, I would say right now more than ever we need a Superman, and that that is a big hole in this this giant you know manifestation of comic media. What what characteristics do you think really need to shine in a in a Superman movie that would really I think reach the planet so that it's not just the American way. It, it's 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 something bigger than that. Captain Planet. <laughs> yes, that's what we need. Well, and I would actually, I, I would argue we don't need a Superman right now, right? Because like we don't need somebody to hang our hat on. We we need to get our shit together. And I don't think that to to the the very idea that it gets explored in Peace on Earth, we don't need that. I mean, that's exactly what we do need is to for us collectively to just fix our own shit. Yeah, but I I think. 
I think to to Phil's point, and I think the point that that Peace on Earth is making is that like you need you need it, the inspiration, you know. And I I think like um, we made the the comment earlier in the episode that like you know things are like dark right now, and like the idea of you know um, like a, a a hero like Superman to um, to kind of brighten things up is something that I feel like. I feel like we could really benefit from right now. There was a uh, um, quote in Superman 78 that was in every trailer for Superman Returns in 2006 uh, of Marlon Brando as Darrell saying to the baby Kal-El, uh, they're great people, Kal-El. They wish to be. They only lack the light to show them the way. Weirdly, though, I feel like Superman, despite the fact that I mean, the last probably 20 years have been rough on Earth. And that's when Superman has probably waned in popularity the most. Because it's been since the 90s that he's fallen fallen down a, a couple pegs. And I think that a part of that is just that, you know, more people have a say than just white people. And... It goes back to something that Marco and I were talking about where he's a character who's been hard to connect to for reasons that we already discussed. Um, you know, to where a, a Superman anything wasn't appealing to me for a very, very long time. I didn't get it. Um, and I think that there are probably a lot of people who feel that way. Not to mention the fact that a lot of creators do not know how to make Superman work. Uh, I think we've just read three books that showcase how Superman can work. And he probably threw a countable number of punches yeah. within all of those. Uh, and like a low number, right? And they're all fantastic. And the reason is because... We get already that Superman is, is strong and all that other stuff. What is beneath that? And the beneath that is not very easy to showcase when you also have to be a blockbuster movie and you have to have X number of action set pieces that have to accomplish certain things. So could you make Peace on Earth a movie? No. Could you make... Uh, for all seasons of movie, no. The a lot of the greater Superman stories wouldn't translate that well, I don't think, to the big screen. And you could definitely say the opposite of that for characters like Batman or Spider Man or the X Men. And so many of these movies have pulled from the comics to tell their stories. I wonder if you couldn't though hit that hit that note with some of these books because like I look at something like Logan. That we all really liked and really connected to, and that's not like as effects driven as a lot of the other like superhero movies. And I don't know, like I think I think you're right that in the current understanding of what a superhero movie is and what it needs to be, um, it's tough. But I do feel like I do feel like you could like we we've thrown it out before and talked about it. Like I would love to see like. Uh, like a quiet, personal, like Brad Bird Superman movie, you know, like something that has that spirit that is like these books that are like a little bit more like close to the ground. 
Well, one of the primary criticisms of, of Superman Returns was how little Superman was physical. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. People are not accepting of the idea that the most powerful comic book character doesn't want to fight. And that is a big problem. Man of Steel went in the other direction. And a lot of people had problems with that too. Granted, the world has changed since Superman Returns. And people are more cognizant of the idea that if if Superman is fighting and flying around and doing the kinds of things that he can do, there will be innocent casualties as a result. So it's a fine balance that you have to walk as a creator when you're trying to tell stories with Superman. But I don't think that you can deny that in order for him to work on screen and people to accept it, he's got to get down and dirty. I I yeah. wonder if Superman Smashes the Clan could work as a movie. I was I was thinking about that. Um but I think people really want Superman to punch a Nazi and we just had a conversation about how we also don't want Superman to be throwing punches all the movie and um I, I don't know. Like, like one of, one of my actual my, my frustrations was that like when he flicked the Klansman, I'm like, "Bro, just show me like him punching him, like send that message." Um and the message of restraint, I think, is not always one that is well received because you do want that more uh, destructive semblance. I, 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 I would argue that people, to Sean's point, do want that do want to see that punch more so than they want yeah. to see the conversation. I think you're probably right. Think about the think about the appeal of Cap- of the Marvel Cinematic Captain America. Like, you know, Captain America doesn't kill unless he's a Nazi. And then <laughs> that's a rough. It's a cathartic experience. You are right. that character. And I don't want to have a conversation with a Nazi. I want to punch them. And yeah. if I'm Superman, I want to punch them to the sun. So <laughs> it's, it's funny, though, because like I kind of I thought that the flick was like so I loved that moment because it's so like, like, fuck these clowns. You know, like they're like they are insignificant, and like we shouldn't, you know, like um, I don't know, like I like that he kind of just brushes them off, you know, and that like he is able to like I don't know, just like come in and like clean up and save the day. Remember when well, I agree with you? Sorry, I just I don't want to forget this point. Remember when Richard Spencer got yeah, punched? Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah! And how yeah, good everybody right. felt? <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's, That's the shit true. I want to see on screen. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I think, I think, I think the thing about Superman and, and why, why that moment worked in this book, but probably wouldn't in a film, is because you know that that restraint. Honestly, it it shows that he values life and all life, even if it's you know life of people who uh, he doesn't agree with. Yeah, that's like a core element. Is the um... He doesn't want to kill anyone. Uh, that's a balance. That's a line he walks. Um, that said, I think a movie of Superman versus the Atom Man, which ironically uh, props to Gene uh, for this, was the very first a- uh, Alan Kirk uh, serial from the forties. Uh, I think that would be a kick-ass movie. <laughs> Superman fighting a bunch of superpowered Nazis. I mean, I I really love the idea of a period piece. Superman, like in general, so yeah, I'd, I'd be here for that. 
I watched Superman punch some Nazis in uh, steampunk. It's like steampunk armor. Sean, <laughs> did, did Superman smashes the clan make you connect to the character more? So yes, it definitely did. And so Superman smashes the clan made me feel like there was a piece of me in him. And that's not something that I ever felt before. Yes, I want to be the great altruistic person that he is and blah, blah, blah. That's fantastic. But that's not like. We all feel like that. And. Whether we live that out or not is what it is. But there are some things that are more core to me than that that are with me when I wake up in the morning and go to bed at night that I couldn't find myself in when I looked at Superman. And now I can. Um, with Peace on Earth, I was able to find the helplessness in Superman that makes him more human because of what he cannot do versus what he can do. And that was powerful because we all say you know i even just made the argument well he could sacrifice his humanity essentially his his life to be a hero 24 7 and the reality is that if he did that he probably still wouldn't be able to solve all the world's problems because they're that big uh and how it must feel to have that much guilt knowing what you could do but knowing that it won't be good enough. Um, and for all seasons, probably while a great book probably wasn't written for me, it's probably written for someone who has a more wispy, nostalgic, romantic, but romantic, but um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, ro a romantic feeling about, about Superman. But not like love, you know, um, uh, platonic romanticism of the character. And I don't have that. So I, I enjoyed the book. I thought it was good. There were some great lines in it. If this were a book club, we'd go into all that. But it didn't hit with me the way it is probably intended. The way like Spider-Man Blue did. Because I had that relationship with that character. Um, but we really do have to wrap up this conversation. Yeah. So... Uh, thank you, Phil, for guiding us through that. Uh, I did want to let you have the final word since Superman is your boy. Uh, I would love to hear your final thoughts on the character wrapping up this spotlight. What do you want to leave us with message-wise? I always think about what Grant Morrison said uh, when he wrote, when he was working on All-Star Superman. Uh, he, he always cited this, um, this Italian philosopher named Pico Marandola who uh, had this this idea that people are great imitators. Uh, you know, they look at the fish and they want to learn how to swim and they learn, they look at birds and they want to learn how to fly. And he wondered why people didn't look to angels to be the very best of us. And that's what Superman is. You know, he works a nine to five job, but at the end of the day, he, come, he takes off his suit and there's the S, the ancient symbol of hope. Because at the end of the day, all of us have that ability to be the very best of ourselves. And I think that's what Superman is. I think he represents what we can be. Beautifully said. 
So uh, that's going to wrap up our conversation about Superman. I am sure we will talk about him again. Uh, we didn't even get to his, you know, his um, supporting cast. His supporting cast. You know, there's so much to talk about. He's such a an important character in comics, and um, you know, again, a global figure, and you know, has has had such an impact. I mean, we didn't even talk about Superman and Muhammad Ali, right? Like, it's incredible. <laughs> um. Maybe a part two is due. We'll see. Uh, let us know what you thought about our conversation regarding Superman, your relationship to the character, and where you think his place is in pop culture. Because, again, you know, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, where is he at in all of this? Uh, it's a very interesting question and something that I would love for you guys that are listening to become a part of the conversation that could lead to an answer to that question. Uh, while you're thinking about that, think about us. Think about the Comics Pals. Think about reaching out to us, as a matter of fact, at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can write to us and let us know your thoughts about that topic, what's going on in the comics industry as a whole. Or uh, if you're excited for Venom 2, there's lots to talk about and you can hit our line to discuss all of it. Um, and of course, if you want to have a much more direct way to interact with us, Basically, on the fly, you can get us on our Discord server. A link to that will be in the description below, where you can talk to us about anything you want to talk about, uh, including reactions to our podcast. Uh, I want to remind you guys about our book club. Uh, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Monday, if not, it's out now, uh, is our Uncanny X-Force book club by Rick Remender and many others. Um, we had a great conversation, so... Come join us for that. And then we have a huge back catalog of book clubs that you can go check out. We're also going to be doing some listener submissions very soon. Stay tuned for the announcement on that. Uh, but let's get into the plugs. Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come chat with me about your favorite Superman stuff. Um, I'm definitely in a mood for some Superman right now. I think I'm. I think I'm gonna reread All Star. Ooh, um, I like that. Nice. And see how I feel about it on the second go around. Um, because I think several of us have said or said in that conversation that the first read through, hmm, second one was when they connected with it. So I feel like now's the I time. I think after reading all of this, you'll connect to it more too. I think I probably will. Um, so I, I want to give it a shot. Uh, again, so um, if you have any other recommendations for me, Phil, or any of you guys or the listeners, let me know. Um, and if you want to get some more content from me, you can check out my work over at loopots.com, uh, where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, uh, stream Animal Crossing over on the Twitch channel sometimes. Uh, go check it out. Awesome. Kale? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Although I only Instagram uh, dogs now. Nice. So, and specifically <laughs> my dog. The feed's gotten and, a lot better, actually. It's and good. that's, uh, yeah, it's got less me. Uh, you can find me, and well, you can find my work at uh, KaleWard.com. That's C-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Um, and if you, God, if you have to, if you have to, Come talk to me about Digimon, but don't talk to me about anything else. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> wow. Oh, Marco? You can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, go support the Mad Cave Fund. Go support the 
Forbidden Planet Fund. Uh, if you see a Kickstarter out there, throw some money, man. I know you're not spending uh, anything on comics, so shut up and spend that somewhere. You can actually, you know, help people. <laughs> uh, and yeah, come talk to me about whatever the fuck. All I know is that uh, a Spawn Kickstarter got over one million. Yes, so. sir. So we can get to three hundred thousand. Yeah, Phil. Or you can give us three hundred thousand. That's an option too. Please. Uh, you can get me at Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. If you have questions that you would like for me to ask our newlyweds out here during our uh, couple game show, please send them my way, and I'll ask all the meaty, juicy questions to stir controversy between the relationships <laughs> of my four compadres. All right, and as for me, uh, you can hit me up at Twitter and Instagram only to talk about, uh, oh, at Sean Soapbox, to talk about Superman and why Man of Steel is actually the closest that <laughs> the movies have ever come to depicting a fully realized Superman, but the stands couldn't accept it and why that is. Damn, what a take. And with that, we are the Comics Pile signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Guess I'm a fucking stan. <laughs> <laughs>